0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cule Show. I am your host today, the Insider of the Insiders, Tyler Kuehl. I tell you, folks, it almost seems like I forget what I'm doing with this thing sometimes because I had to turn on my turn on the mic. Because I'll tell you this, it, it's weird because for the first time in a long time, I actually had to take away my mixer from this desk because it's you know I actually had to broadcast games this past weekend, so it's it's a little unique for me to kind of having to kind of move stuff around, because guys, the pandemic, well, I mean, it's still going on. who am I kidding, but I finally got to call a game in the pandemic, which was weird because I had to do it with a mask on, I mean, I, a mask around, but then when I started talking, I could take it down, but when you're walking around, it's it was unique, but I had to take my mixer out, so for like the first time in, oh gosh, probably, what, six months? Six months it probably may have been that I've actually had to move this somewhere. And I'm not talking about moving when we move the table from this side to the other side of the room here in the studio. But it's just it's different. It's it's a good kind of different here, too. So that said, welcome back to The Kuehl Show, everyone. I'm the insider to the insider, Tyler Kuehl. And we have us a wonderful show today, which you're watching on 12 Ounce Sports Live, of course, because you're watching us, whether you're watching us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Maybe even Zingo TV, channel 761 on there. If you want to go on there and watch us on the big screen on your Google Chromecast or whatnot, make sure you use the promo code 12OUNCE. That's the number one, the number two, the letter O, and the letter Z or Z for you improper English users to get on there and watch us on the big screen. I mean, of course, if you have YouTube, you can also watch on the big screen on there. But I digress. Zingo TV, it's more than just us on there as well at 12OUNCE Sports. There's all sorts of cool stuff. The lacrosse network's on there. All sorts of sports from around the globe. I wish I could do the, the, um, oh cats. Who is the old Olympic, not Kurt Gowdy, but there was another Olympic, um, host. I, gosh, I can't remember. Jim McKay. There we go. That's the name. That was a loud clap near the microphone. I really do apologize for that one, but no. So yeah, Zingo TV, go check that one out there. Of course, we must thank our awesome sponsors today, including MyBookie.ag down there in the corner. Go on there and win and get paid. I know the Super Bowl was yesterday. We'll get to that in a second. However, I will say this. I was able to use my bookie for our prop bets that my family and I do every year for the Super Bowl. And I tied for first this year because it came down to, I think I picked the over 54 and a half, 54 and a half uh, points. Because I was like, oh, it'll be Mahomes versus Brady. Defense won't do anything. And then Tampa Bay's defense is like, psych, we're not going to let him even score a touchdown. They didn't even let Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. I will admit, though, I was right on Tyreek Hill getting more receptions. I did pick Brady, though, to throw more pass yard, passing yards, though. Maybe that would have been a, a, it as well. I wish there was one for Streaker. If I had one for Streaker, I probably would have put no still because I thought, hey, it's the Super Bowl. The security is great. And they actually got the, a streak. A Streaker actually got onto the field in the Super Bowl because I remember all week they're like, oh, we'll still have the heightened sense of you know security even though there's only 25,000 fans and you would think with 25,000 fans you'd be able to pick out that guy that's running with a pink bra and shorts onto the field as he's run towards like he had to have been ha- sitting front row and just darted right and um of course there was the audio clip of Kevin uh, Kevin Kevin McFarland I cripes, I forget the guy's name that calls it as well he does he does game for CB, uh, CBS on TV and he does Westwood One games for some of the national broadcasts, so got to hear him make the call. Because he was the guy that called – he was in the Monday night game for Westwood One, and there was a guy that was running on the field. It was San Francisco and L.A., like a really boring game. And he went out, and he like, he just called it play-by-play. Play. This guy's running up the sideline. And he did the same thing for the Super Bowl. And it was just – it was hilarious because of how just – entertaining it was and how entertaining he made it seem. I got a streaker on the field in the Super Bowl. When was the last time that happened? I guarantee there's actually a time. But now I know for the prop that's next year on mybookie.ag, they're going to put on there, what are the odds of a streaker getting on the field? I guarantee it ain't going to happen, though, because I'm pretty sure after this year they're going to be like, listen, we can't have anyone on the field because that guy wasn't wearing a mask either. That's the real kicker of all this, not just the fact that he was streaking on the field, on the Super, or a uh, goofball running on the field in the Super Bowl. He wasn't wearing a mask. How dare he? How dare that guy? Unbelievable. But also let's thank our awesome, cool sponsors right up here in the corner. Second Ring Leather Company. Get on up there. They have an outstanding, amazing, incredible sale going on right now, guys. Check this out. Not just the fact of their awesome sale they had before. They have a cool Valentine's Day sale. They have 30% off gear wallets, $45 for all of their awesome watch bands, and Eight dollar keychains, which you can you know, put on your keys, have a little goaltending pad on there. Does that mean you can get me an apple watch band from second string leather company for Valentine's Day? that would be great. I already got your Valentine's Day. Kelly's coming in here asking. She's like, Oh, look, yeah, you have an you Apple Watch, second you're cool. String leather she needs a second string leather company, company, company apple watch band. Yes, you do, hon. You are right. Here's the do kicker they though, have Kel. A sale? Yeah, they're having a sale, yeah. Okay. Well, if they have real ones, you should get me one. I already got your Valentine's Day gift today. It's coming in Sunday. Because that's Sunday, right? What's that? That's her anniversary gift. Oh. Because even though our anniversary, guys, isn't until 2024, because we got married on Leap Day, which was her idea, we have to celebrate the anniversary every year. Yeah, that. Her. The one who's the nurse and the lovey-dovey person, you. Thank you for the beats, by the way. They look very nice on my head. They They match my shirt, too. They do. They match my Toronto Six shirt. Because that's what we're going to be talking a little bit about today later on. Kelly's going to work. Say goodbye, everybody. Say goodbye, Kelly. All of you on 12-ounce sports right now. Just completely derailing my show. But anyways, who cares? Uh, But that is for Second String Leather Company. Awesome deals going on. Of course, though, guys. I should probably mention. Because we have our own awesome stuff that you can check out on teespring.com. We have our awesome merchandise. TKS official merchandise. Don't quite have the copyright yet, but we're working on it. Teespring.com slash story slash The Show. Make sure you put those dashes in between the and Kewl and show so you can get right on there. Also, you can just go to the link of this description of the either way. You're on the YouTube video on The Kewl Show YouTube channel or your favorite podcatcher. as always. Get on there. Teespring, Kewl Show, merchandise. Awesome stuff. And like I said, we are going to talk about the NWHL today. It won't be just me, though. We're going to have Dan Rice, good buddy of mine over at the Hockey Writers. He's going to stop by to discuss not just the Isabel Cup as a whole, but what happened. As the, I'm sure a lot of you heard about the news one day before the Isabel Cup semifinal, the NWHL suspended its season. Now, what does that mean? We're going to find out when we talk to Dan here at the bottom of the first hour of TKS on this Monday, February the 8th, one day after Super Bowl 55. All sorts of reactions to it. Not many, not as many great commercials with it this year either. We'll also be talking about Tyler Toffoli. We'll get to that here in a minute and his absolute destruction of his former team in Vancouver. We're also talking about the new safety protocols the NHL has put into place. Some of the players' reactions to it as well. We will definitely talk about Carolina and Columbus and what happened yesterday. If you don't know what happened, well, a we're gonna explain it. But it was a, a bad missed a missed review call that happened. Yeah, a missed review, not a missed call. So I won't be yelling and screaming this week. At least I don't plan on doing it. I'm trying to be a little more relaxed. Two weeks in a row of yelling and screaming about the player sa- NHL Department of Player Safety is kind of, kind of taking a toll on me. My voice has gone a little sour. So I'll try to be a little bit more fun, a little bit more easy on the league in this retrospect. I'll probably tell them tell him bye. Oh hey, Rando, how you doing there? Talk about the Eater Town versus Elmira fight. Eater Town? <laughs> I, I see Watertown underneath it, but Eater Town. Must, Rando must have been talking about it. I, You know what, Rando? I did not see that fight, unfortunately. Oh, oh, you're talking about the... Oh, yes. The fight that happened that caused the game to get canceled. That's what you mean by the fight. So, I'm pretty sure the Rando's broken it down a little bit on his show. If not, he's probably going to talk about it tonight. i talking minors with the Rando. There was a brawl that happened before a game that was supposed to happen between the Watertown Wolves and the Elmira the Elmira Enforcers, that's their name, of the Federal Prospects Hockey League. And the Fed has always had interesting stories based on guys fighting, guys, you know, was it Troy Passingham going after a bunch of fans in the in the President uh, Commissioner's Cup finals. What happened apparently was before the game, there was an altercation in the hallway between the locker room, between Elmira and Watertown that ended up having to cancel the game because as of right now, those are the only two teams playing in the Fed. They're just going to play a handful of games against each other, you know, get some, you know, get those players an opportunity to play a little bit. And I, I chuckle at that because it's the most Fed thing to happen. And I remember when I went on with the rando a while back where we I told him how I played in the Fed and he's like, I have some stories about the Fed. And he's like, what stories? And I'm like, which ones do you want to hear? <laughs> and he's like, the good ones. I'm like, okay, I'll give you the good ones There there are some stories that I have heard and I have experienced with the Fed that aren't necessarily safe for air. I'll say they are safe for air. They're just, you know, they don't put the league in a good light. But I'm pretty sure this whole little brouhaha doesn't put the league in a good light either. So there is that. Also on the show here today, we will get a college hockey scoreboard in. I almost forgot about it this week because with my work at Davenport and I got wrapped up in that. We'll also get to what to watch for. And we'll talk a little bit about some news and notes, including the importance of a couple of injuries that guys that are coming back from injuries this week. So let's get started off so quickly to the Super Bowl here, because I know I'm a hockey sh- or I'm a hockey show. We're a hockey show here at TKS. And it's it's a, it's always a fun time for us because we always watch Super Bowl. Alex and I always will watch the Super Bowl together and we'll just chillax and yell and scream about it because we think we just know everything about football even though literally the two touchdown passes to Rob Gronkowski while Brady was dropping back. I literally said touchdown for some reason. I'm not Tony Romo like calling plays, you know, saying, oh, they're going to, well, I try to, there was one, it was like a fourth and inch. I'm like, they're going to run off the right guard. And what do they do? They ran off the right guard and they got the first down. But I, I, I chuckle because every time I call it, my dad looks over me like, how do you know he's going to score? And I'm like, I, you just get that funny feeling inside. And I was actually chatting with Peyton Turnage, one of our members of our Five Timers Club here on TKS, and we were discussing that a little bit, just texting back and forth. And he said he was he Tony Romoed one time a power play goal as I call a color commentator one time. And I told him, like, yeah, I have this weird thing about faceoffs. He's like, what do you mean about faceoffs? Like, I just for some reason know when or how a face-off's gonna go, depending on which team and how they win it. At least in the in a respective zone, in the offensive zone or the defensive zone. And I remember I did it, the first game I did with Harrison Watt up at Ferris State, and it absolutely terrified him. It was like three seconds left, and I think it was, they were playing Bemidji State. It was down to our left, and he's like, Tyler, totally, what do you got to do here to try to get a shot on goal? I'm like, well, here's what's going to happen. You're going to stack three guys at the inside hash. And you, gotta have a le- you need to have a left-handed shot taking the draw. He's going to try to win it right back to the top of the circle, and he's going to try to take a shot, but it's going to go high and wide because he's going to try to rip it too hard. They win the drawback, right-handed shot at the top of the circle, fires it wide, and goes around the buzzer sounds end of the period. And he just, like, he looked over at me. He's like, holy cow. But an explanation to that is I was a goaltender. And now what does this have to do with face-offs? Tyler, you didn't take the face-off. You just stood there as a goaltender. When you're a goaltender, you need to be extremely active. Your job is not just stopping the puck. Contrary to what people believe. It's not just sit there, block a couple shots, and hope for the best. That's not how this works, unfortunately. I took it upon myself to sit and try to determine what is going to happen to make sure that everything went right for my team. So when I saw that we had a right handed shot on the draw to my left, so pretty much if he wanted it backhand, he was going to win it right back to me. He was going to go forehand to go in the corner. So I'm directing traffic to, hey, you know, make sure we have. D-man on the wall. We'll have the three down the middle. Hey, you make sure you go to this guy at the top. Like they will line up a shooter at the top of the circles or the defenseman. Hey, you go out to the left point. I'm like, I'm looking like Brady. That's what I, I explained to Peyton. I go out there. I'm like, all right, Pete went into the corner. Make sure you fire it around the end boards. You fire up to that, right? Go up to the right point. If we win it, get over to the far wall defenseman, make sure you tie him up. Don't let him get by. You go up and try to win the draw with your teammate. I, And this is happening in a matter of like five or six seconds because the ref just wants to drop the puck and get the heck out of there, right? Or the linesman—they don't care about what I want to do. I can't call a timeout while I am discussing or while I'm trying to tell my team what to do on the faceoff. So literally, this is douche. Or I I say douche because we had a guy named Evan Ducharme. Evan, go up there to the top. Midgey, get up there as far as you can, and just like just telling everyone like what route to run as or what route to skate in order to if we win the draw, and then if we lose the draw. It's a very tri- it sounds very trivial. I get that. However, it is so important to make sure that you have everyone on point on a face-off. Because how many times have you watched a game? NHL, college, pro, junior, minor hockey, peewee hockey, a face-off is won or lost, and it results in a goal in some form. Whether it be in the offensive zone, quick face-off draw, shot on, goes in or get a rebound and they score because of a defensive breakdown. Or face-off win, quick breakout, they fly three on two and end up leading to a goal on the rush. How many times have you seen that? That's because of players playing their roles and doing their jobs. It's a it's an incredible video thing that I would love to go through one day. I need to have access to video and like be able to, you know, permission to use it on this show. Because this is why I would love to have Rachel on. Rachel Dory used to do video work for the New Jersey Devils. She's one half of the Staff and Graph podcast, which you can find on your favorite podcatcher as well. It's so intriguing to see what happens and what each player does. Like when you're watching a game, you see plays happen. And yeah, for like a big save or a big play, what you'll see is you'll see a highlight of that during a broadcast. Unless you watch a breakout or if you see a turnover, see the puck ever turned over. You want to go back and watch it again just to see what he could have been looking at. Sometimes that does happen because it may lead to a goal or may lead to a chance. And sometimes they'll break it down depending on the broadcast. I typically, and this is not a knock against anyone in particular, but I typically see it when I'm watching Sportsnet or TSN because... Typically, that's what they do. They will look at a certain play. Now, NBC does stuff as well. Sometimes Eddie Olchek will explain plays. Keith Jones will do the same thing as well. And, of course, you have your local Fox Sports or your local, I mean, Root Sports. If you're uh, if you're up northwest, I think it was AT&T for Vegas and Pittsburgh now. What I'm saying is they do it, but I find myself seeing it more often on the Canadian broadcast. And, yes, that is the possible oh this is because it's Canada and hockey is up there more important blah 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 I'm like well that's not necessarily true entirely but that's just from as an observant hockey fan that's what I see the most of and so it, it's so much fun to watch video I've always thought about doing I'm not going to say coach's corner because coach's corner well that's Don Cherry's thing and since he doesn't work for hockey Night I can anymore it's kind of it's kind of gone away with him and I I'm pretty sure we're okay with that because I, I think that's something that's been kind of glued to him. But simply explaining a play. Like sitting down, pulling out a whiteboard and explaining it. Because that's what Don Cherry used to do as well. If he would show, I'm like, hey, kids, I want to show you this play here. And it would just be this random play in the first period that no one probably noticed. But Don Cherry, former NHL coach of the year, 1976, show would show little plays. Watch this kid here. He goes on the forecheck like this. And he you know, makes his play here. And instead of doing this, it ends up leading to a turnover and led to a scoring chance. Now, did it allow, allow it go to a goal? No, but it's a play that he would like to break down and do. Now, in a seven-minute segment, it's very difficult to sometimes get those in all the time, but he would do it, and it was intriguing to me because, wow, this guy is, instead of just analyzing how did this goal happen and how did this play happen here, let's just look at this play that happened in this game at this point. Didn't do a factor to any game, but it's a smart play by this player. That is... That's what a video coach does. They look for those things for for that player to work on or to show other players, hey, this is what we should be doing on our forecheck, on our back check, on our breakouts, whatever. As a player, well, as a goaltender, I hated sitting through film. Absolutely dreaded film. Because unless it was a shot on goal or a goal that I allowed, I want to see how I gave it up. But that's all I need to see. I don't care if my defenseman gave up the puck. Now, if he gave it up right in front of me and I was coming back in next, I had given him the, or I passed him the puck or whatever and whatnot, then uh, there's nothing I could have done. Okay, whatever. But if I had to sit through film, because there was one time at Davenport, Coach Green, we, we were playing a game against UM Flint. We were there for two hours breaking down this one game. And I think we may have gotten through like 10 minutes of it because of, I guess we just played horribly according to him. And it was just, for me, I I wanted to stand up and say, what am I even doing here? I, am I even, is it even worthwhile if I sit here? Because what does this have to do with me? All right, I gave up that one goal. Move along. Anything else for me today? Because that's how I, that's, and yes, is it selfish? But that's how a goaltender thought. Now, analyst and broadcaster Tyler, holy cow, I would love to sit through a film session and explain what's going on. and. Gosh, I remember there. There was one time, I was, I think I was playing Bannum, and it was a pre. I'm checking my time here, make sure we don't run out of time because we got Dan Rice coming up here at the bottom of the hour, so less than ten minutes from now. I, but I, I we we're at Bannum, and it was we we're at camp, we we're at like a training camp, and our coach was explaining a penalty kill. And this is where I, I don't want to say I have expertise in penalty kill, but I played on a couple teams where we just got into a lot of penalty trouble. So I figured out what a good penalty kill would be. And I remember I, I raised my hand and coach my coach. Can I show you something? And this is front of the whole team, right? And he's like, all right, go. All right, bring it on ahead, Tyler. Go show us what you, show us what you got. And don't forget, Bantam travel hockey, ban prep hockey for those who are friends from the North. It's, there are some teams that really care and there's some teams that really don't. So this was very tough for me to try to explain it, but, I pretty much broke down how we should attack on a penalty kill to our team. Now, don't forget, this is 13 year old Tyler with long flowing blonde hair and who was a motor mouth more so than I was than I am now. So if you think I talk fast now, God forbid when Tyler had energy of a young teenager in adolescence, it wasn't pretty. Let me tell you. So That said, I remember I explained the whole penalty kill, and literally I turned around as I was drawing because I just wasn't quite John Madden drawing all over the board, but it was just so much going on that I was explaining. I turned my eyes back to my teammates, and there was just looking like a bunch of Tim Allen's out in the crowd because they were everyone just bug eyed and like, what are you talking about? And as the season went on, I remember one time we're at practice, and Coach Sherry came to everyone and said, All right, let's try this. Not necessarily saying it was my idea, but it was similar to what I had explained. And the team and he was he did a better job of probably explaining it than I did, so that's hence why probably why it worked. But I remember we were doing the penalty kill in practice, and we ended up doing the game, and I kind of sat there and was like, This is my idea. And now, like I said, coach probably totally forgot that I ever said that. And he probably watched a game and saw it, and he's like, Oh, well, that's a good idea how to run a penalty kill. And that's how they ended up running it. So maybe that's how it came around. But I'd like to think that I had a helping hand in our team's penalty kill. Now, I'm not saying we had a 95% success rate on our penalty kill, but, you know, we our, our goaltender that we had, you know, it wasn't the best. That's that. That's me, by the way. So just a couple more minutes before we go to break, and we'll talk to Dan Rice about the National Women's Hockey League. We'll probably talk more about Tyler Toffoli after the break, simply because We don't have a whole lot of time because Tyler Toffoli's had an incredible season so far. And by incredible season, I mean incredible five games against the Vancouver Canucks with the Montreal Canadiens. Montreal right now, who is towards the top of that Scotiabank North division. We'll talk about other divisions as well. Not just the North, okay? I know it's easy for me to watch the North because, well, I follow a lot of people that that are members of the media that either broadcast the North division or cover the North division for various media outlets up there but we'll get some more as well. We'll talk a little bit about, like I said, the Columbus Carolina game. We'll talk about what's going on out West as well. And we have a lot, a lot of cancellations and postponements for hockey games part of the National Hockey League schedule due to COVID-19. And we, I guess I got a couple minutes to talk about it. The So Buffalo, Minnesota, and New Jersey all had to further postpone hockey games. They've been postponed now, if I believe it. They've been sitting in COVID protocol now for at least a week. Now it's going to get extended through another week because of continuing positive tests. As of right now, as of today, excuse me, nine players for the Buffalo Sabres have tested positive for COVID-19 and have had to enter COVID protocol. Same with their head coach, Ralph Kruger, 61 years old, Ralph Kruger, by the way. Now, yes, Ralph Kruger, if you've ever seen the man, he's a relatively fit individual. So I'm not saying he has he's a big health risk, but... He is elder. He is technically a senior, close to a senior citizen. So there is concern with that retrospect. And we'll get to all the COVID protocol changes here in a little bit. If you have not heard about him yet, I'll kind of briefly go through them and what that could mean, briefly go through the protocols and what that could mean. And like I said, Buffalo's in trouble. Minnesota and New Jersey are the only teams that have extended their protocols. And it just goes back to my thing I said last week. Not many teams are going to play a 56 game schedule. You know, the only now knock on wood, as I say this, because I remember I hear from everyone else, the only teams that haven't had, the only teams that have not had to postpone games yet, or at least it's affected the massive schedule across the entire division is the North knock on wood. The only player that's had to set out a quarantine knock on wood is Pierre-Luc Dubois knock on wood. And he's starting, he's just starting skating now for the Winnipeg Jets since that trade that brought him to Winnipeg, which saw Patrick Laine and Jack Roslovic going to Columbus, and we'll get to Patrick Lining a little bit, because that has to do with the Canes and Jackets game from yesterday, so with that, let's take a quick pause here on the Kula Show, because when we come back, we'll be talking with Dan Rice of the Hockey Writers, we're gonna try to figure out what all happened with the NWHL bubble, or maybe lack thereof, we'll kind of try to figure out what happened, why there's no hockey, and why in the world the season gets suspended. We'll also talk about the good stuff from the tournament as well. All that and more when we come back here on The Cool Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. <music> and welcome back, everyone, to The Cool Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Tyler Cool here, the insider of the insiders, joining you here today. And thank you for joining me here on this lovely, amazing. Pretty mediocre Monday afternoon here in West Michigan. We'll be turning gears here a little bit from the National Hockey League. Let's talk a little bit about the women's game a little bit. And we've been talking a lot about the NWHL. We did the NWHL scoreboard, of course, the last couple of weeks. So all of a sudden, it stops. It gets suspended again. The NWHL season stops. Why does that happen? Well, let's get some help here. We're going to be joined now by the man who covers the National Women's Hockey League for the Hockey Writers, also writes features for the NWHL, also has been covering the New Jersey Devils for a long time as well, over a decade. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Dan Rice. Dan, how are we doing today?
1: I'm doing excellent. Pretty mediocre here, too, in uh, New Jersey as well.
0: Well, I guess that's, (laughs) I guess, well, I will say this, compared to the storms you guys had out there last week, I mean, I'm pretty sure mediocre is probably a good thing, right?
1: Yeah, it was it was actually pretty nice today. Uh, it actually snowed most of the day yesterday, um, and then it's supposed to snow again tomorrow. So we'll, we'll take the the mediocre day uh, today, and hopefully it doesn't get too bad the rest of the week here.
0: What are the what are the temperatures looking like out there? Because right now we're hitting lows in the single digits. I know I have some friends up in Saskatchewan that are looking at about negative forty five up there Celsius. That's actually about Fahrenheit as well. How are things over New Jersey temp wise?
1: Uh, we're about 30 degrees. It was about 30, 28 degrees when I was out earlier today. Um, I had heard about way up there in the North. Um, one of the, the players' moms actually, uh, was telling me it was pretty cold up there today, uh, up in Winnipeg. So, uh, I, I don't feel as bad as I did when I woke up this morning and thought it was cold once I heard about that. But, uh, yeah, you know, no complaints. It's, it's winter time. This is what you expect. So, no yeah.
0: big deal. That, I guess that's one good thing. You look at other places like, oh, well, I guess not that bad.
1: Because it could always be worse. Could always be worse.
0: Always could be worse. So Dan, let's let's get into it here. The National Men's Hockey League. I'm wearing my Toronto Six shirt today because I thought I was going to be wearing it because, well, I thought the Toronto Six were going to be maybe the team that would be in lifting the Isabel Cup at the end of it. But we'll get to them here in a second. However, we never even got to that point because the day before the semifinals, before going in front of a national audience on NBC Sports Network. The NWHL suspends their season once again. Last season, it ended just the day before the Isabel Cup. This time, the, before the semifinals. What happened? What caused the NWHL to cancel the 2021 is or not cancel, but at least suspend the 2021 Isabel Cup?
1: Yeah, and uh, it's just like the rest of the world, right? Uh, you, you can you can run and, and try and hide from COVID, but. Um, unless your your plan is airtight, COVID's gonna find a way in, and uh, that's kind of what happened up in Lake Placid. Uh, you know, it started small, and and uh, before we knew it, a week went by, and and a lot of people got infected, a lot of people got sick, and um, you know they had a they they made the right call and they sent everybody home and. Um, I believe that was the right move because the positive number of cases has continued to grow since uh, the players and teams have left Lake Placid. So it's it's a shame, Uh, as you mentioned right before, supposed to be in front of a national audience. Um, My my heart breaks for the players, uh, for all the players, but especially the ones that uh, have been a part of the league for so long. Uh, there's, there's a, quite a handful of, of day one, we called them the OG NWHLers. Uh, they've been there from the beginning and, uh, it would, it would have been really nice to see them see the fruits of their labor and have their games be televised on NBCSN. But, um, you know, COVID had other plans and, and, and you, you just try and, uh, uh you hope that everybody's okay. Nobody has any serious, uh, long-term ailments. Uh, the players that did uh, contract the virus, and, and hopefully we, we find a way to finish this at some point.
0: Because, of course, the Metropolitan Riveters were the first team to pull out that due to many, so many cases. And and because the thing was, and I kept seeing this across social media, is that players were coming in and out of the bubble. Am I correct? Is that, is that right? Players um, were getting signed and whatnot?
1: Well, the, the way that I understand it... Um, from, from talking to players and, and staff and and uh, my contacts is um, only two players, to my knowledge, left the bubble to, you know, they got there, they decided they wanted to, they didn't want to be there for whatever reasons and they decided to opt out, um, which the league said was, you know, always on the table. Um, anybody who opted out, they're still getting their full paychecks, um, as are all the players now, despite the the games not being finished. Um, the, the, some players started coming in that were with the teams, you know, training the, the months leading up to this, uh, this two-week bubble tournament. Um, and for whatever reasons, be it uh, work or, um, you know, a lot of these players have day jobs, so they weren't able to secure that off time uh, two weeks in the middle of, of January after a new year starts to, uh, to take that time off. So a couple of players did come in. Um, but to my knowledge, the, the, the spread didn't come from them. It came from, um, somebody that was already in the bubble. And then, um, you know, as we see in the world, it, 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 you have that many people in close contact, uh, on a day to day basis. And it's, it's pretty easy for the virus to find its way around. And, um, like I said, you know, uh, a, a bunch more players have been confirmed positive since leaving. So again, it was the right it was the right move, but I don't think the players coming in had anything to do with uh, that uh, because, as far as I know, those players have all tested negative uh, to this point. Because that
0: I, that that was a big thing in the discussion too, because people were saying if it's not a bubble, because they you know people are saying oh, if it's not a bubble, if you're letting players in, you shouldn't you know don't build it as a bubble. But it pretty much was because the players were staying there, the ones that were competing, except like you said, a couple new faces that came in that were training with the team, but you know, these, these players have day jobs, not like the NWL right. women's hockey's not at that point yet. Of course that is the goal, right?
1: Exactly. 100%. And, and uh, what kind of threw myself and um, a lot of the reporters um, I think, it, it, I think at some point we always knew that it wasn't the, the bubble that we saw in um, Canada with the NHL and down in Florida with the NBA. Um, it wasn't that type of bubble but we figured it was going to be pretty, pretty safe, safe quarters, as long as everybody tested negative before they headed up. And that was the case. Um, my guess would be that that somebody tested negative before entering Lake Placid, but was carrying the virus and it just didn't show up. And then, uh, from there, you know, it was, it was all pretty downhill. And, um, in the, in the, the, the press conference, uh, following all this, uh, the, the announcement that it was being suspended, um, The the commissioner started straying away from the term bubble and and, uh, referred to it as a restrictive access environment. Um, And and you know, to my knowledge, the the players I don't think they were like out on the town going to bars or anything like that. But it was uh, for the most part, most of them were you know going to their going to their hotel rooms and from their hotel rooms to the rink, which was about a mile away, and then back and forth. And um, they split the teams up into two hotels. Uh, three teams in, in each hotel. One, each team had their own floor. Um, everybody had their own rooms. Um, I know a lot of teams, um, specifically Buffalo, did a lot of uh, Zoom meetings um, You know, throughout the course of, of their time there going over defensive tendencies and how they want to play and, and those kind of things. And, and just to check up on each other, because you can't do that in person anymore. So, right. um, you know, at least not when you're in that environment and you're trying to keep everybody as safe as possible. Um, but it, you know, some, like, like I, I said at the beginning, you know, uh, COVID found its way in. And once it found its way in, it was, it was pretty much the end, uh, the end was in sight after that happened. And, um, you know, it, it maybe Maybe they, they waited a couple a couple of days too late to to cancel or suspend the, the rest of the season. But, um, you know, it is what it is now and, and what Suns is done.
0: That, that is the tough part. Because as soon as we heard the first one about the Riveters having to miss the game, which then they threw the Toronto Six into play on that Wednesday night, it was kind of like the, okay, they're still going to go, but it's like, oh, you can just tell. There was like the seed was planted. The seed of doubt was planted that uh, the, you didn't know if you were actually going to finish this thing.
1: The, the gray storm cloud started coming over like Placid around that point,
0: 100%. Right. And then, of course, then they pull out because of COVID tests. But there's like, all right, everyone else is okay. Let's keep playing. And we get to it. Do you think they were just kind of waiting? That's why they waited until the day before just to see, hey, are can we still play? If we have enough players test negative, we can still play. Because obviously, you don't want to wait until the day of the semifinal, have all the NBC trucks there, have them all set up. And then all of a sudden, we can't play. Because that would, right. that would have been a worse look on the league. But you could tell they were just trying to wait until just to make sure like any possible chance of playing. They were going to take that chance. And I, and I can I commend the league for it. They got to take that opportunity, right?
1: If they can get it. I, I, I do. And, and um, I understand the business aspect of it 100 um, percent. Um, but also in, in my talking with some of the players, uh, specifically on the Connecticut team, um, they didn't feel like the league was putting their best interest at heart or, or had that their best interest at heart. Um, and they tried to force Connecticut to play a game, uh, according to them and they balked, uh, at, it, at it, they came together as a team, they voted on it and they decided not to play. Uh, and they said that the league basically gave them an ultimatum. If they didn't play, then they were out of the tournament. They said, okay, so I guess we're not playing, and they said, "Okay, I guess you're going home then." And uh, you know, and then and then you see, um, and this is one of the things that I asked at the press conference uh, uh, with the commissioner and and um, a couple of the league uh, brass. Um, you know, what changed from Connecticut? That was, I, I believe, a, a Sunday or a Monday where they they forfeited their game. Um, what happened from then until the middle of the week when you decided to ca- scrap the whole? the whole rest of the season. And they, they said that it was trending in the, in the wrong direction. And you know, that, that, that ended up being prophetic because as I just mentioned, you know, we've seen a a, um, or I've been told about a a number of positive tests since that point in time. Um, I believe that day, somebody reported that Boston had six, six positive cases on their team as well as the coach. So the virus was clearly there. There was no way they were going to be able to pull the, the rest of that, those games off.
0: Okay, that because that clarifies a lot for a lot of people, because people thought Connecticut just up and left because of some other reason, because when I first because that was during game three, when there was announced that Connecticut was pulling out of the tournament because Buffalo and Boston had their play in series, which game three all of a sudden looked like the biggest game of the tournament so far of the season, because it determines who gets that fourth spot because Connecticut and Minnesota and Toronto had already clinched the top three after the Riveters pulled out. But that was a big deal because I saw Jeff Merrick tweeted it of Sportsnet saying that this ha- does not have to do with – well, he initially said it didn't have to do with COVID, but then obviously what came out after was it has to do with COVID, but it's not because of the Connecticut players that tested positive. It's because of how the league was treating the the, the safety of the players. That's what I guess is what he Basically, meant
1: Basically, yes. To, to my knowledge um... – you know, the the first game uh, that they played after the the reshuffling of the, the scheduling, um, they were missing four players. Um, to my knowledge, those four players uh, all contracted the coronavirus um, and the, the whale as a team said, hey, you know, you're going to force us to play a game. We don't know who has it and who doesn't right now. And we don't think it's safe. We don't think it's in our best interest, nor for our opponents as well, because we don't want to infect them um, and the league was kind of just saying like, look, just get out on the ice and play. And and that kind of goes back to the, you know, you want to try and get this done as fast as possible and not have any more hiccups. Um, But, you know, and, and now um, I guess it was Friday or Saturday. um, I talked to one of the Connecticut players and they said more than half of the team has it now. So those put those players, you know, the four players that tested positive first and then, um, you know, say the other 20 players didn't have it at that point they did have it they just weren't testing positive for it so uh uh i, I think you know I, I can't i can't fault connecticut for for doing what they did i think it's pretty honorable to to stand up together as a group like that and um that's one of the things that the the league hasn't really answered and and kind of has to sort sort its way through here in the off season as they they peel back the layers to this and see you know where did things really go wrong and at the same time um you know it, it's a virus it's you can do you know there's millions of not millions but maybe thousands of stories of, of people who do everything the right way and you still end up contracting this virus right so right. Uh, at at the end of the day it, you can't really put blame on one person or on everybody you know it's just it's one of those things that just happened but you have to figure out maybe how it happened where you where you made some missteps and um i think they have to work on their transparency um, because some of the things that they told us in this end of season, whatever uh, presser don't match up with what I'm being told from, from players and, and, and coaches and and people of that ilk. So, um, you know, it's, it's uh, in in her defense, Tyler Tuminia is, is the interim commissioner. You know, she took over in October Um, as she said in in the, the press conference, she was, she was right there. She was at the goal line to use a football terminology. Um, she was at the goal line of of getting her, her players onto NBC, a big huge spotlight for them, and, and they just didn't they weren't able to do it. It just COVID just won again and and uh you know, you move forward and and hopefully uh everybody's healthy, you know.
0: Do do you know whether they were doing the PCR or the rapid test? Because I know that just from personally speaking, working at a a university where we have to test we all take the rapid or the rapid test but they always put the you know, the disclaimer in there this could be a false positive or a false negative or whatever obviously the pcr is a little bit it's a lot more accurate but it takes longer to have the results and do you know which one they were taking the players were
1: that i i'm not sure if i knew i do know that they were uh i, I at least from what i from what i understand maybe it, but it started that it wasn't daily testing and then once maybe after the first couple of positives, um, with the Riveters, then they decided to to do them the, the, uh, the, the right way. Um, for lack of a better term, I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I, I, I stunk in school with biology and, and for that matter, investigative journalism. So I really hate this part of, of, you know, writing and, right. and covering, covering the game. Like I just want to write about the games and, and this past year has given me a whole new uh, perspective on, on what I really enjoy about, about writing, that's for sure. But, um, you know, as far as I know, they were driving test results down to Yale University um, and getting the results, you know, whenever, whenever, however fast they could turn that around. Um, those are terms and, and figures that I'm not, you know, one hundred percent on. So I wouldn't want to speculate either.
0: Okay. So that makes sense. Cause I know because of course, you know, I'm probably gonna mention a little bit later, but the problem with the flyers and caps game yesterday was because Travis Sandheim tested positive with a PCR test. They did a bunch right. of rapid tests and the players that did the rapid test tested negative. So there was an issue. With, with that, though, some of the pl- the leagues, some of the players around the league said, well, that's kind of dangerous, but since they tested negative for the rapid test, they're like, all right, you can play, so it made a whole kerfuffle because the, the NHL is having enough problems with COVID as it is, but jumping, yeah. jumping back to the NWHL, though, obviously we don't have any idea if they're going to try to finish this up. Hopefully we do because here's the thing, Dan, up until the suspension of the season, this has been it was such a fun season, such a fun tournament to watch because it's so different from the traditional hockey viewing experience. And the NWHL I think it tried to do that. That was their goal with this because they knew obviously no fans and they started the Twitch streaming last year with the NWHL. And I'd mentioned it before I didn't watch many games last year because I wasn't really sure about it because I was like, okay, you know, they're trying the streaming thing, that's cool, but I watched a lot I watched British about every game this year. It was fun because Not just the inclusiveness of the broadcast because of the, you know, the broadcasters, you know, kind of reacting to the comments in the chat room and the Twitch, but also the hockey itself was great. I mean, this was such a big moment. And of course, that one Saturday, over one million people watched women's hockey. I don't think that's ever happened. Even I mean, maybe the gold medal games in the Olympics, but that's about it. This tournament up until that Wednesday was probably one of the biggest events for women's professional hockey in the world. Wouldn't you say so, Dan?
1: I, I would definitely agree. And and the only games that I could think that would rival it would be Canada versus USA in the Olympics. Um, it to your point, the games were fantastic. I uh, have watched the games over the last. Uh, I guess wow, we're up to season six. Uh, you know, watching watching every almost every game. Um, these games are fantastic. Uh, up until I want to say the last weekend when we had a couple of blowouts, every game was three to one or four to two, uh, two to one. Uh, we had, I think two games go to shootouts. We had a wild comeback game. Um, we had, uh, uh great performances by new players and, um, older players, returning players. Uh, it, it was really, really good action. And, and to, to your point that you also made about the Twitch, um, you know, that, that, that's a, a platform that they, they took a chance on, I think. And um, they, they found out very quickly that the, the Twitch community um, was very welcoming of the, the, the women's hockey community. And, and it seemed to be a, a great partnership. Um, I, I can't keep up with all the, the comments and, and, and all that going on during the game as, as I'm trying to track the game. Every now and then, though, I because I, I, I pull the games up on my TV and and um, I have the the chat bar streaming on the side. Every now and then, I'll, I'll I'll take a peek at it and and you see some 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 really neat interactions and and um, I believe that the first day of games, um, uh, J T Brown was in the chat and he gifted uh, seventy one subscriptions or something like that. Um, I know myself; I went in at one point. Um, I don't remember if it was the, the the first weekend or maybe it was the day after the first weekend games um, where I donated a couple of subscriptions too, and um, that that helps people stay engaged and and um, it, it also that money goes back to the to the players uh, because they have a fifty fifty revenue split with with the league. Um, so those are all good things. Uh, as you mentioned, a, a million people uh, one day watching the game. Um, I believe that was the second Saturday, um, that first Buffalo-Boston uh, game uh, of their series that, that ended up not really being a series. But that was, that was a great day to, to see all the, the excitement of uh, not only the people watching it, the people online uh, reacting to it, um, and to hear the reactions from the players afterwards, uh, whether it be um, publicly during a press conference or just privately in, in our conversations um, everybody was really stoked and there was a lot of momentum going on and being built. And um, again, it's just a shame that it, it came to a crashing halt the way it did. Um, they do hope to resume the season, according to the commissioner. Um, but what that looks like and, and when it is, I don't think anybody knows at this point. And, um, I would say I'm hopeful, but also skeptic that, skeptical that, that that would actually take place and happen. Um, do you invite the the riveters in Connecticut to finish the season um has everybody tested positive now so you can have a season and, and not worry about everybody <laughs> testing positive again right I don't, I don't know I don't know how those things work you know um and that was one of the funny things going in was um talking to a lot of the Minnesota players um most of them had the coronavirus at some point in the offseason training um whether it was September October or November So the last month of training and then heading up to Lake Placid in January, they really didn't have any concerns about themselves contracting the virus unless, you know, the the rare case that I've heard that you can contract it twice. Um, So when they ended up leaving, they got pretty lucky um, where they hadn't been infected because most of them had it already. But the few players, and I know one of the coaches that didn't have it, did contract it. Um, so that's, you know, that, that just stinks. And, um, uh, like I said, it's, it's just a shame that it came to a crashing halt the way that it did.
0: The, uh, it was so great because the thing is, cause I mean, we're on Twitter, we're on the social media. We see how hockey Twitter can just be an absolute cesspool of oh, yeah. just <laughs> negativity and chirping and, you know, harsh stuff like stuff you hear, you know, even in beer league, like they just, they just go into town on each other. The thing about the Twitch stream, going back to that here, Dan, is mm-hmm. that there was the you know back and forth Ah, our team's better than yours. Now nah, our team's better, blah blah blah. But there was just this blind amount of fun where it was it was fun, you know. I like I would try to get involved in it, whatever. I think my buddy uh, Steve Dangle, who've had on the show here a couple times, he was in there as well having fun. It was so fast too that you probably couldn't keep up with everything that was said, so you may have missed <laughs> a couple things. But it was it's it was just a, a positive experience i think for people because there were some people that even admitted they never watched a hockey game on tv before this was their first time and i'm like well this is a good platform to see it i'm like hey hockey's a fun place to be <laughs> because other places shoot go on you know maple Leafs twitter or hockey twitter in vancouver right now with the canucks and it's just bad you know this and that just every negative word you could possibly think of there it was just fun just people enjoying hockey
1: It never happens yeah. these days dan <laughs> No, it doesn't. And and that's one of the things that I, I've found in the last you know, six years covering the, this league so closely. Um, you know, you see them after games and, and the players, um, you know, no matter how hard they battle, uh, they they sit there and they sign autographs of fans after games. They're, they're very interactive with their fan base. And that access you don't get with the NHL and, and even with the AHL and, and, and other minor leagues. Um, where where they actually will sit there and listen to their fans, you know whether it's a, a boy or a, a young boy or a young girl, um, and they'll sit there and talk to them about their favorite players or the sticks that they like to use or taking pictures with them. I've seen them sign everything from phone cases to shoes to jerseys. That um, they'll sign whatever you want. They'll take whatever pictures you want, um, and they really go above and beyond and and. And amongst the fans, there there isn't that, you know, there, there's rivalries. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the, the Riveters and, and Buffalo is a pretty big rivalry. Boston and anybody is a pretty big rivalry. And there's good natured fun to be had with w- between the fan bases, but it, it never gets malicious, to your point, um, like NHL fan bases do, whether it's on Twitter or fan blogs or Facebook post or 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 team post or anything like that like there there is a need for or there is a desire for for those fans of of this league the nwhl to to have the information the access to information that that um that they feel like they're plugged in with everything and, and that's one of the things that i try and provide but they they on their own they interact with other fans and and they have a good time and everybody's just there to enjoy the game of hockey you know and that's one of the cool things too about having the Riveters out here is um, they started in Brooklyn the first season and then they moved to New Jersey. And a lot of those fans from Brooklyn have still stayed with the team four or five, six years later now. And um, you know, you're getting fans that are, are fans of the Islanders and the Rangers and the Devils. And in some cases, the Flyers all come together in this area and, and root for one common goal. And you see the jerseys in, in the rink. If they're not wearing Riveters jerseys, they're wearing, um, a Jack Hughes devil's Jersey or, or a Henrik Lundqvist Rangers Jersey, you know, Matt, Matthew Barzell. I love going to games in Connecticut and seeing people show up in Harford Whalers jerseys. Like that's the coolest thing to me is, is the, the Jersey watch I call it. And, yeah. um, and, and, and all those people just come together to a support the league, but because they enjoy the game and and they enjoy the, maybe the, the core values of, of what the game is without all the, the outside built up, you know, because they make so much money and it's an instant, uh, everybody wants an instant reaction at all times. Um, generation that that's, that we live in with with hockey right now. It's everybody's just consuming information so much. And and you have that access to, to ask why, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? There is that in the NWHL, but there is also just a, Hey, we're just kind of happy to be here. We want to really do some, some fun, good things. And, Um, hopefully this takes off and it's something that I believe in, you know, enough that I've been, um, stuck with it for the last five years. And, and I, although this is, I think a a small bump in the road, I I think once we can get maybe COVID behind us, (laughs) maybe we can, we can have some, some really fun, extended and successful seasons.
0: Oh, amen to that. That would be exciting. The the biggest thing I think, looking now at the teams in particular, Connecticut had you know a really good team. The Riveters had Sonia Shelley playing absolutely outstanding in goal for them, and but the team that finished first after the reshuffling, of course, was mm. a team that I don't think anyone expected. As I flashed my Toronto Six shirt on the camera here, I because I, I had Digit Murphy on on the show a couple months ago. And it was right after the Lake Placid announcement because it was a big deal. Mm. Like, hey, the NWHL is coming back. And there was a lot of skepticism about having a team in Toronto, mainly because of how the CWHL ended. And I I was in that group, Dan, I'll be honest. But as time wore on, as I kind of continued, maybe to look a little bit more into the NWHL with the absence of it, obviously the Pro Women's Hockey Players Association is coming or you know, doing their own thing. But I started to see I'm like, all right, they are still trying to do stuff that, you know, the CWHL wasn't doing the NWHL with the Twitch streams and the, all this, all this inclusive content for fans. I'm like this is exciting. And they were starting to come around and they got this Isabel cup and then they're going to have it in a bubble. I'm like, okay, cool. They're going to play. Let's just check it out. And they got the Toronto six, a brand new team. And then all of a sudden they get, you know, the deal with NBC sports. And then all of a sudden there's, you know, discoverers coming to like all these sponsors all of a sudden just climbing in. I'm like, wow, this league is gaining momentum in a good way. And I'm not saying the, you know, it, it was just exciting to be around it. So I dove in a little bit more and I, I, I am a Leafs fan there, Dan. And so I've, <laughs> I've, I've been looking for a winner. So maybe this brand new team can win, but, <laughs> but the Toronto six, it was, it was a surprise because that first game, they get shut out by the Riveters. Well, darn it. They had, and they outshot them though. Hey, that's a good, you know, a little bit of Brownie points there. 40
1: shots. I think they had that game.
0: Didn't, well, well, didn't they have 40 shots just about every game?
1: Just Yeah, just about.
0: Yeah, I think Mike Murphy though, over at the Ice Garden, he said something like it was like they were averaging going into the semifinal. They were averaging like 41 shots. It was ridiculous. But, yep. But then the game against Minnesota happened and I was just, oh, gosh, they are a Toronto team. <laughs> to Five one lead. I'm like, no, this can't happen. But then just the next game, they just turn it around. They beat Boston once again, a thing that never happens in Toronto. They, and they just all of a sudden rally around and they have great performances from Michaela Grant, Mentis, Elaine Shuley and gold played really well. Woods all, they all looked, good. I mean, it just seemed like the team came around. What made the Toronto six, even before they started getting wins on the score sheet, what made them such a dominant team to out chance teams every single night and eventually turn that into what was going to be the top seed going into the semifinals. <laughs>
1: First of all, when you had Digit on, were you able to get a word in at all? Because I know she likes to talk. I got four. <laughs> no, she I, she,
0: I said Riveteers once by accident, and boy, I did not talk uh, for she, five minutes.
1: She, she let you have it. Now, Digit is great. And, uh, you know, I, before this season, I, I knew a little bit about her, but I never um, had any interactions with her per se. Um, I thought she was phenomenal. Uh, her Her enthusiasm and energy... In in the post game press conferences was uh, top notch. Um, uh, to to your question about uh, how did they turn it around? Interestingly enough, they didn't really get to practice too much together um, because of the the restrictions of, of gatherings in in Canada. Right. So they would kind of practice in in ten person groups, I, I think, uh, or maybe maybe even smaller, maybe eight person groups. Um, so maybe the two weeks leading up to the tournament is when they, they really started to practice together as a group, a full team. Um, And that first game, you know, nerves probably kick in, um, especially you give up a goal. I think it was 65 seconds or 55 seconds into the game um, on a, on a fluky point shot uh, puck finds its way in. um, And then it's an uphill climb from there. And the Riveters were, were ready to play. They were, they were a group that was mostly together uh, coming back from last season New faces, definitely, but the core was still there and, and how they wanted to play. Um, but going on from there, Toronto just, they really started to find their legs and, and confidence. Um, you mentioned Michaela Grant-Mentis. She was phenomenal. Um, I don't think we're voting on MVP or any, anything like that, but she was definitely in the, in the, would have been in the running um, for, for those kind of uh, accolades. Um, she was phenomenal. The defense was phenomenal too, and and they played. I think the last two two to three games they played with only five D um, because one of the defenders uh, ended up having to sit out, which um, we haven't confirmed, but we assume is COVID related. Um, so it, it was a, a, a phenomenal group effort, and I think you know once they got that first win, I think it, it just kind of became like a snowball effect. They started to have. Um, these their dance parties afterwards, and and you get in a good headspace. Uh, you get a hot goalie. Truly was amazing. Um, she showed why uh, she was one of the first signings that they had. Um, going back, she was uh, in the CWHL. She was an NWHL draft pick. I think it was the the first NWHL draft. Uh, the Riveters drafted her, and she obviously never played for them. But um, truly a, a talented goalie, and and um, you know they they had some some great, great individual efforts on, on some, some goals that they scored that were um, highlight real goals that we're going to remember when we look forward to next season or the resumption of this one. Um, you know, we're going to look at that and say, like, you know, these, these are some players that we really need to keep our eyes on. Um, and another one that that sticks out um, particularly is uh, on defense. Lindsay Eastwood, I thought was great. Um, big, big body back there. Six foot one, um, she, she finds ways to get her shots on on goal and um, even though she's a bigger player um, the the foot speed is there she's able to transition from one zone to the other and and make an impact on the defensive end while also being able to to chip in on the offense as we saw a couple of times I think she had a a three or four game point streak to to end this thing um, so it was really neat to see them come together like that and um, it would have been interesting to see uh, how they would have reacted to the, the, the semifinal game and, and the final if they got there, um, being as though they would be playing teams that, that are a little bit more experienced um, as being groups together for, for a few years here. Um, another interesting thing in final, and, and last point I'll make about them is um, talking to the Riveters coach, uh, Coach Evo. Um, he had mentioned, because they played them first, and, and how do you prepare for a team 've never seen them before right there's no footage on them other than you're gonna watch individual footage of players in college or other leagues that they played in right. so he said he said that they really try to focus on what each player does well and how we can limit those kind of things um, so if it's a shy and dark angelo and she's she's strong down low you know we have to make sure that we we have two two sets of eyes on her when she drops below the the hash marks. Um, in front of the goalie, uh, a player like Emily fluke, they know from playing against a couple of years now, um, they know she, she's uh, got a, a compete level that that's almost unmatched. Um, but they also know that she's, she can be a little bit of a, a passionate player and maybe you could use that against her and, and maybe draw a penalty or so. So those are things that they worked on. And it was interesting to hear him explain that because, um, right. How do you, how do you prepare for 20 players playing together? that you've never seen before. And I don't think Toronto probably knew what to expect from themselves until they, they get into those game situations. Cause you can practice all you want, but um, something's always going to come up that you haven't practiced or prepared for. And um, they obviously reacted really well by the end of the tournament. And they were one of the hottest, if not the hottest team.
0: And it was, it would have been interesting. I don't, cause I was terrified because once you know, the re happened, Mm. had Boston had Connecticut not pulled out in Boston, which they won game three. Anyways, it would have been Toronto and Boston in the semifinals and Toronto and Boston in the playoffs is more yeah. terrifying than Boston and Toronto in the regular
1: season. And, so I was, I was Boston had found that mojo at that point too. So it, it would have been really scary for whoever had to play them.
0: Yeah. So, well, let's get into the pride here because you know, they, they win their first game big and like, all right, they look good, but then they lose to Toronto in a close game. Truly plays out of her mind that, you know, and that just seemed, to kind of just freeze Boston pride's offense and kind of rattle them a little bit and there. Cause obviously you gave up the first win to a new franchise. Maybe that would, have was, but what did it take for them to turn it around? Obviously playing three games against one team can kind of help you kind of figure out and get the offense going, but their offense exploded in games two and three against the Buttes. What caused them to kind of falter a little bit and fall into that spot where they're having to play in to get to that, that fourth seed? And what, was able to help them turn around because remember they lost that first game in the series.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, at the beginning, I don't think they were playing bad. Um, but as you mentioned that, that Toronto game that, that started a string of two or three games in a row where they would score the, the opening goal of the game. And then the offense would just dry up. And, um, I think it was three, three straight games where they lost two to one or three to one where they, they gave up third period goals. Um, they, they kind of got into a, a little bit of a groundhog's day scenario, which is kind of funny because it was right around groundhog's day. Right. Um, and so they, they fell into this, this scenario of, or the, this, uh, this trap of, of maybe getting a little overconfident once they get that one goal. And, um, you know, they're also the top team, so you're going to get everybody's best effort every night. Um, maybe they read a little bit of, of the, the press clip clippings leading into this thing. Where people like myself and and um, Mike Murphy and other writers really believed that Boston was the beat, the team to beat. I mean, they showed us no reason why they wouldn't be because they went twenty three and one, and it seems like they got a stronger roster because they added so many um, top end talent talented rookies. Um, and I think maybe it just took them a little bit of time to 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 really gel. Again, they haven't played together in so long. Um, new players coming into the league, not, not sure what to expect. Um, and, and other teams coming for you with their best shot I, I think it, maybe it caught up to them a little bit. Um, I, and then I also, uh, the captain Jillian Dempsey had gotten hurt. Right. Um, she dressed one game, didn't play, um, after the injury. And that, that was a miss that, that, uh, that losing streak. But, um, when she came back, it, it seemed like everybody kind of like resettled in. Excuse me. And, um, they, they really started to find their, their, uh, their connection and they were able to get more than a one goal lead. Um, you know, they, they did play against some good goalies, um, which, which prevented them from, from adding more goals, but they, they seem to find that swagger towards the end. Um, uh, particularly, uh, Sammy Davis, who was the number one overall pick. Um, she led all rookies with, I think five points, four goals, um, so she was ad, as advertised when they chose her with the number one overall pick. And um, as the that series against Buffalo started to wear on the, the games two and three, um, you really started to notice that, that she was a, a pretty gifted player. And and um, just the, the goals that she scored were, were really, really pretty goals. Um, uh, top end tier talent goals. And um, again, it's it's a shame that we didn't get to see how how it all plays out, but um, you know they're they're they're, they're going to be a phenomenal team, you know, this year, next year, and probably the year after that. Um, the way that, that that group is built, um, the buy in that they have, um, and the leadership uh, with their GM and, and their coach, uh, just straight from the top on down, they're just a, a, a really talented group, and they're they're definitely a challenge for all the other teams uh, in the league. Yeah,
0: that'll be interesting with a full season how that team looks. And you kind of, you know, Buffalo in itself, of course, remember Carly Jackson played out of her mind in her, that first game against the pride, which ended up leading to the Buffalo win. The other team I wanted to talk about, Dan, is the, is Minnesota. Cause mm-hmm. the team that, you know, two years ago, they were the NWHL champs. They were on top. They still top. are. <laughs> they still, They still are. You're right. They're, 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 they're the Toronto Raptors of women's hockey. They are the longest reigning champs of, of all time. But I, 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 love looking at it because I, I watched him. And first of all, gotta say Amanda Levier, I, you know, I like Emile Zetterquist's pads over in Colgate. He's got like the checkerboard, but Levier's pads with the fish on them back <laughs> as a former goaltender, that's a goaltender union approved right there. I love those pads, but she was able to back it up. There was nothing fishy about her game at all. Knee slapper. But I mean, <laughs> you had there. This team lo- looked like while they weren't going to finish in the top of, they didn't finish top of the group because they lost to Toronto. Even though they did come back in that first game in the original round robin, you had players like Nina Rogers, Audrey Richards, Haley Mack had a game or two that she really stood out. Were the were the caps, a team that could have snuck up upon the six and and where the pride was coming in the pride in that semifinals because they were looking like a team early on, especially that could have been a contender for the Isabel cup.
1: Yeah. It's, it's funny, you know, the, the way the whole season played out, um, with the, the rearranging of the schedules, not ever, everybody played the same amount of games, right? So Minnesota only played four games where Toronto played six, Boston played seven. So when you look at, you go back and you look at the stats, they may be a little skewed. Um, but Minnesota, as, as long as they have LeVier, um, I learned a, a long time ago that never to bet against her. Um, her track record speak, speaks for itself. She's won at every level, uh, multiple times. Um, and, uh, you know, the, that game against Toronto, maybe things were a little bit off. Um, but there, there's always been a thing with Minnesota, on, and I believe that was the second game of, a, of the back-to-back um Toronto, uh Minnesota always for some reason struggled in those second games. Um it's it's weird because they are such a talented group and and they're a group, to be honest, that a lot of them have played together their whole lives. Um that team is very Minnesota centric. Um I think just about every player on that team is from Minnesota. Um I know Levier isn't, but she's she's since adopted that as her hometown. She lives there now, she works there. Um, and she went to school there, obviously. So, um, yeah, they, they just, they would have been, you know, having seen the way everything played out and, and if we had the, the final four, the way it was supposed to be, I, I would have bet on Minnesota, um, just because of, of Levy and, and I trust her in big games more than I kind of trust the other goalies. Um, and, and the players that you mentioned, uh, Nina Rogers had a, a great run. Um, I think the last game she had two goals and an assist that was, uh, basically like half of her, you know, career point total in, in one game. Um, and she was really getting the ice time and, um, other players weren't scoring like Alec Dunstrom and John Curtis, but they were still getting chances. They just weren't putting the puck in the back of the net. And with that group, it's just always, you just never know who's going to, who's going to get you. It could be Dunstrom one game next game. It could be Rogers. It could be Audrey Richards. Um, it could be one of the, the defenders because they have a talented group back there too. Um, so for for my money, they were probably the team to beat. Um, and and I know uh, at least in in case, um, knowing her a little bit, uh, she was she wasn't playing at a hundred percent. She had some things that she was going through and maybe that's why she ended up pointless um, in the, the the only the four games that they played. Um, but she was still getting chances, and she was still a threat every time she was on the ice. So, you know, I'll, I'll take Ali, I'll take an Ali Dunston at seventy five percent over a lot of other players at hundred percent any day of the week, uh, just because of the, the talent and skill level. Um, but that that's a, a dangerous, dangerous talented team. Um, and when they're all clicking on, on, on the same page, uh, they're they're a team to be reckoned with, and and probably uh, one of the two best teams along with Boston in this league right now.
0: I, I will say this. It's, it's almost easy to be like, oh, look at the team next year. Because I, I know there's already the odds out for like next year's Super Bowl champion. Because you see <laughs> a lot of rosters have the same amount of players for the most part. In the mm-hmm. NWHL, though, while you do have like a lot of returners, there is, would you say there's a little bit more turnover than you would see in the major professional sports, at least in the NWHL?
1: Um, sometimes, to an extent. Um, most of the teams have had a, a pretty decent turnover this year. Um, and that comes from, you know, either players stepping away from the game for, for whatever reason. Um, and, and you also, you have new, new players get drafted, right? You're going to draft young players. Um, you're going to sign young players that weren't drafted coming out of college. Um, and, and a lot of their, you know, because they aren't paid, like, like professionals should be, um, they're getting there, they're, they're working towards it, but they're, they're not there yet. And, you have to have a day job for the most part unless you're living at home with your parents, right? So right, exactly. um, a, a lot of these players, um, you know, so the, the Riveters aren't going to be able to sign a player that, that maybe played school in, in Wisconsin or Minnesota just for the fact that they would probably have to find a job or a place to live out here, and, and it might be a little bit more cost, costly to do that. Um, so you're pick, So sometimes you're only picking from a, a small pool. On the flip side of that, though, the Riveters, uh, I know, and, and I'm sure the other teams do this too, but being around them, I know that they have a, a, a setup where, it, whether it's their GM or somebody involved with the league, will help to find them housing. And they'll do it where it'll be two or three players can, you know, rent out the uh, second floor of a house for six months or something like that while they're in town training, getting ready for games, practicing and all that. And then, you know, they maybe they find a job. Uh, a, a a side hustle to to make a couple of bucks and put, put some money in your pocket, but you're also able to still focus on getting better at, at hockey and and training with your teammates and those kind of things. Um, So it's interesting to see the turnover from year to year. Sometimes we have players come back that haven't played in a couple of years. Um, I, I, like I mentioned at the top, when we talked about the missing out on the NBC uh, games, you know, there's probably five or six players I think now that that have been here since the first season and that's in total. Um, so that shows you, you know, only in, in six years, how, how much turnover there is. Um, but those, those players are very important because they're, they're the foundation. They're for the most part, the faces of the league. Um, and the the, the, the next players come in the next generation. And, um, it's, it's crazy. I, I joke with, uh, the older players, you know, like these girls that are just starting in the league this year or next year when they were going to college, like they were watching you playing in this league and it it makes them feel old because, you know, it it goes by pretty quick, even though five years, six years is is a, is a long time. Um, It does go by pretty quick. And and all of a sudden you're the oldest player on your team and you're 26 years old or 28 years old. Um, So they have some fun with that with their teammates and, the the older girls get called grannies or grandmas and and, and stuff like that. So um, it's interesting. It's um, the the, the roster turnover can be uh, a a crazy thing, but um, most of the teams have pretty good leadership and a a direction. Um, They, they, they know, they know the type of players they're looking for vocality based and skill wise. Um, And it's interesting to see how they, they put it all together for the next season.
0: I really wonder how I mean, because it's, it's so interesting because I I mean, I, I played senior league and there was we typically had the same amount of guys come back every year because everyone lived in town, of course. So I guess I don't say similar to an NWHL team, but I get the retrospect on the you know who is in town and who wants who would be willing to move into town and whatnot. But yeah. last question before we let you go here, Dan, so let's just say, unfortunately, the season can't go on. We can't re, mm-hmm. we can't re, recoup. We can't redo the 2021 Isabel Cup. It'd be an absolute bummer because we, you know, we want to see a champion this year. We don't want to go two years without it. But let's just say next season, full schedule. Mm-hmm. Who would you? Who is your way too early pick? I know we, like I said, we want to focus on this year, but say the 2021-2022 season is the next season that the league moves to and gets ready for. Who would your pick be to be the Isabel Cup champion? Your way too early pick, but who would it be?
1: My way too early pick would be Minnesota, just because I would assume that. 90% of that roster is going to come back. That That's a group that, you know, they're familiar with each other. They play a long time with each other. And to my earlier point, they have Amanda Levy in that. Um, I might be a little biased because I'm, I'm pretty good friends with her and her family, um, but she is, is dynamite and in, in goal. And um, if you have her behind you, you have a chance. Um, another interesting aspect, um, there's been a little uh, uh, some rumblings that there might be an expansion team coming next year. Mm. I've heard, I've, I've heard there might even be two, but I have heard for sure that they're seriously considering adding another team in Canada. Um, so that would be huge. And that maybe changes the, the dynamic of some of the rosters. Cause um, you know, are there, are there players from that area that, that might want to um, um, play, play on that team? Are there other players that they're going to recruit that, um, may have a, a, a background with Montreal um, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out but to answer your original question I, ha- I have to go with Minnesota they're the reigning champs right? Um, yep. it's it's almost two years running now so um, to, to be the, the to reach the top of the mountain you got to beat the top dog and um, I'll, I'll ride with Minnesota until proven otherwise.
0: Yeah to your point about the two Canadian teams there was initial talk following the departure of the CW, the, the folding of the CWHL, that there was going to be Toronto and Montreal. So I'd be interested. Yes. And so, and of course the Lake Canadian had an amazing following. They were the last Clarkson cup champs in that league. I know Calgary had a really good fan base there. And, and yeah. or, I mean, it, it all depends because there's so I mean, there were so many markets and they could add a second team. I mean, I mean the Markham thunder in the CWHL were a very popular team. I know in the area, heck they were in that game against Lake
1: Canadian. Yeah. Uh, and, they had some some slick uniforms too of those green uniforms.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I will say this. The the cool part about the CWHL and I guess with, you know, with, you see it a little bit with the the NWHL with the Connecticut Whale with their with their color scheme going back to, you know, going back to the old Hartford Whalers was that mm. they kind of adopted well, at least except for Markham, they went with the Dallas sweaters, but like, you know, the, the Furies they had, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs colors and the Lake Canadian were Montreal and Calgary right, had it's, red it's, black. it's like a
1: little uh, uh, similar in vein, same right. color scheme. Uh, different designs but but basic concepts stay the same for those cities
0: and that's why the toronto six made such a big fuss because they went with the ottawa senators they went, with with colors. Ottawa colors, and i'm like oh you know, man honestly, have, yeah.
1: the first time i saw it my first impression was like wow they really just took like an ottawa senator's jersey and just used it as a picture and then i like really looked at it i was like oh that's their new jersey like but you know and i you know we always make snap judgments when you see these things yeah. right right away and, and oh i hate it i love it etc etc it's interesting when you actually see them on the ice I, I i had my reservations about the toronto jerseys i thought when they were on the ice they looked awesome especially that the white jerseys because all oh, that man. all that that um that subliminated uh or whatever it is uh the the gray writing on the white jersey like you really don't see that when you're watching the game unless there's a, a up close shot of the of the goalie or the player and as a journalist when I'm you know putting together articles and I'm looking for pictures and I see these pictures I'm like wow like these jerseys look really good and, and again you don't really notice that stuff the details until you're actually like really it's it's stopped and it's frozen right and you're looking at it um, I, I thought all the jerseys this year looked, looked great um, I, I know the 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 woman that, that helped to design them. And, um, I thought she did a fantastic job back then. And then seeing the, the, the finished product product on the ice, um, I was very, very impressed. Um, that, that's, that's another neat thing about the NWHL too, is, um, sometimes you attract fans just because of your jerseys, right? You, you see something that you haven't seen before and you ask more questions about it, whether it's somebody wearing a Jersey or somebody posting a picture of it online. And, and that's how you, you know, you you build up a fan base and you get people interested.
0: Why do you think minor league hockey teams have like 10 different sweaters? They have the Christmas sweater. Exactly. The NWHL, they just have sticky ones. <laughs> I almost bought one because I looked, I was showing my wife because I, because I believe Dan, I'm not quite sure, but how mm-hmm. many teams in the league have three jerseys? Because Toronto has Toronto, the red, Toronto the red Toronto white, Toronto Toronto's the only yep. one. That was what the big yeah. deal was because they went with the black. because it, it seemed like it was going to be the white and black. And then mm-hmm. they just pulled out the red and I'm like, Oh, and I'm like, and now, oh. now I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, no, if they go with the last color, which is the gold, I, just because I'm not a fan of the Vegas golden Knights, when I'm like, if they pull out gold, I don't know how I'll feel about that. <laughs> like just stick with the ones you got. I yeah. like them,
1: <laughs> but yeah, no, this was the first year that the teams had multiple jerseys. Um, and that, that's another sign of, of the league, um, whether it's earning more money or, or partnerships where they were able to have a, a company make a home and a road Jersey for them. Like they never had that before. So I think, and part of that is the inclusion of the six, um, you know, Minnesota was already wearing black. So, um, you, are kind of running out of colors, right. For, for everybody to use, Boston was yellow and, and the whale were green or blue and the riveters went with white and Everybody knows the Buttes Blue is, is that. And so Toronto kind of had to find their place. And, you know, more jerseys is more money, right? And, exactly. and more more money is good for the league. And um, the players get uh, 15% of any sale with their name on it. So why not, you know, go out and buy a jersey and and, and give a little kickback to them um, as, as a way of supporting them? Uh, you know, everybody can do do a little something, whether it's a jersey or a jersey. Um, you know, all that, all that helps out in the end and, and it shows investors that people are interested. Right. I mean, right. that's the name of the game at the end of the day,
0: man, if I now then I literally will be helping the players. I, mean, I wonder if I can convince the wife, I can get a sweater for each of the goaltenders in the tournament, but I'm pretty sure she'll see that. And she'll be like, and you got <laughs> me this for Valentine's day. And I'm like, Listen, uh, yeah. Man. Listen, wait, I, wait, I'm helping other people. Wait until after out. Valentine's Day. <laughs> exactly. We'll wait till like the summer when there's like nothing to spend to pay for, and then we'll like...
1: see And and sometimes there's sales around that time here, too. You'll you'll see like the the Labor Day sale or the Memorial Day sale rather, and and you'll get like twenty percent off. The money is still going to go to the players. You're just paying right. a little bit less out of pocket. Right.
0: So. It, it's the it's the second Tuesday in in June sale, huh? Have you heard about it? It, it happens <laughs> once every fifteen years. This league wasn't exactly. around the last time that happened. <laughs> uh, we've been having a lovely chat here with Dan Rice from the Hockey Writers. Get on Twitter and follow him at DRDiabloTHW, which is the Hockey Writers. Also great stuff he puts on together for the NWHL. Also provides New New Jersey Devils coverage for you Devils fans out there. Be sure to check him out. Dan, this has been a blast talking women's hockey with you. Didn't know if it was going to go this long, but this was definitely fun. It was worth the t- time we had you on. Hopefully we have you soon. Hopefully we have you talking about current on ice action with the national women's hockey league. Thanks again for taking the time today, man.
1: My pleasure. Um, I'd love to talk about anything that's going on on the ice, but the devils aren't playing right now either. So I, I come out of the end of cell, I got nothing to do now. Uh, I'm going to try and follow the, the, the Binghamton devils as best I can until, uh, the devils figure out what's going on with their COVID problem. But uh, I appreciate you having them, having me on. And anytime you want me to come back, just, uh, throw me a vine. I'll be more than happy to join you.
0: Definitely. will do Dan. Thanks once again, We'll take a quick break here, folks. When we come back, more of the Kewl Show here on 12-Ounce Sports. And welcome back, everyone, to the Kewl Show here on 12-Ounce Sports. Thank you once again to Dan Rice of the Hockey Riders for joining us here today. That was a definitely a fun chat, talking about women's hockey. Because, I mean, you guys have followed us the last couple weeks. So you know what it's like. We we enjoy talking about women's hockey. We, we enjoy talking about hockey here on this show. Now, yes, we are a hockey program, but... I mean, there, there's a lot of podcasts out there and a lot of other shows that talk about just the NHL. Which, of course, I mean, if it's something you're experts in, go for it. I mean, do what you got to do. But I like talking about more sports, which is why I talk about, you know, they do the college hockey scoreboard, or you know, when we had I had Todd Crocker on last season talking about the the Toronto Marlies in the American Hockey League. I mean, there's there's so much hockey out there to talk about. We haven't quite dove into the the European hockey. I think our furthest extent we've done. It's when we ever bring Rachel or Janae Anderson on from Axis Hockey MI. We talk about the wings prospects that are out in Sweden and Germany or Finland or whatnot. We got the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Vancouver Canucks on right now, which is up 1 0 now for the Leafs. Only second shot of the game. Vancouver's actually out playing them right now. Niels Holglander, though, just took a puck to the face not too long ago. Well, right as we were finishing up, right as we went to commercial break, he got him right underneath the right underneath the visor that he had, and it just blew his nose to smithereens. There was blood on his visor, and it did not look pretty. So, I, I mean, I sorry if it'd be a little graphic for you folks here, but that, that, that's kind of how it was, and it didn't look good. So, well, you know, I'm pretty sure he's done for the night, but hopefully it's just no more than just a little cut. And by a little cut, hopefully it's not a broken nose, because that's where I went. Right now, Vancouver's on the power play. They're out shooting the Leafs 8-2 with a little over five minutes to go in the first period, so that'll be the game we're reacting to because, well, I mean, I, I you know, I just uh, I got the Leafs mug here. I got the Toronto Six shirt on, and, you know, I, I like Toronto a little bit. Trust me, the, the day they say the borders are going to be an open, we are literally going to be, and by we, I mean probably the wife and I, we're going to be at the border waiting for 12.01 a.m. on that day because it'll probably be a Monday, right? I think that's usually how they open. Like, we're going to reopen the borders on Monday, I don't care. I'll be open on Monday. I really cross it. It's because I work at, at the radio station. My first newscasts are usually around 1030. So if I go there, hang out, maybe Sarnia for a minute, I wouldn't drive all the way to London. It's about a couple hours in. It's going to be a little bit of a stretch. Hang out in like Sarnia. Maybe I'll go to Windsor, you know, hang out in Windsor. I've done that before. New Windsor's not a bad spot. It's it's pretty nice at times. It's pretty much, you know, Eastern Detroit, but, you know, hang out there a little bit. Maybe go to the casino hang out there for a few hours, and then come back and go to work. That's how I'll do it, so I don't miss any work. So I'll be a good employee, very loyal, or whatever the heck they want to call it these days. So with that, let's kind of talk about the Canucks a little bit here as they are playing and kind of carrying it over here as we're in our final hour here of TKS. I, the Vancouver Canucks are a very interesting hockey club. I picked them to finish fourth, as you guys remember, in our preseason picks. To finish fourth in this North Division, you know, really good hockey team, lots of talent up and down the lineup, Besser, Pedersen, Quinn Hughes, and, you know, they have their role players in there like Tyler Myers and, you know, Bo Horvat being their captain. He has had an incredible year as well, but it just hasn't seemed to quite come to fruition yet this year. As of right now, coming into this game, they're six and nine on the season. Now, six wins is you know kind of good. It's better than a couple teams, better than Buffalo. But then again, Buffalo is not even playing right now. So, and that's the one thing too. Looking at the standings, you have to take. In a, I almost have to click winning percentage just to make sure what it's actually like because now there's a lot of teams that aren't playing right now, which we'll get to here in just a little bit. But like how Detroit has only three wins, which they got their third one yesterday. LA's only got three wins. San Jose. But I think it's the thing with Vancouver is this. There's expectations for this hockey club. That was the kicker in all this is that had they been a, you know, a meet, had they been the Vancouver Canucks before last season, this would be okay. There would be no expectations for this hockey club. I don't think any of us thought at any point last year that Vancouver was going to be leading the Pacific division. None of us thought that, but then what do they do? They decide they're going to be a top team team. They're gonna they would have made the playoffs had the playoffs ended normally, had 16 teams. They were the 7th seed in the Western Conference, so they were they had to play in the qualifying round. Had made, you know, fairly easy work against Minnesota. I think when well, they what, won one in 4 games, Chris Tanev's overtime winner. What do they do then? They go out there and beat the St. Louis Blues. Jacob Markstrom plays like he's a 6 million dollar goaltender, but then he gets hurt against Vegas. What does Thatcher Demko do? I got this guys and he drags them to game seven, where they lose to the Vegas Golden Knights, who end up losing to Dallas, and Dallas ends up making it the second like finals. But I that's the problem with winning, right? When the Leafs were bad, I know all Vancouver fans are like, why are you talking about the Leafs? Because they're winning right now, guys. There's my chirp for the day. They when you when the Leafs were bad, 2014, not the 2013, 2013 stunk because that team was not supposed to be there, but they were. 2014. And you know, 2013, even the 2011 when James Reimer came in. Hey, look at James Reimer. I remember when he played for the Marlies and he's winning games with the big club. Good for him. Yeah, we're winning. Hey, we may make the playoffs. Oh, shucks, we missed it. But hey, you know what? That that was fun. That was fun, wasn't it? Let's go next season. Now ah, we're gonna lose a bunch of games anyways. Who cares? 2012. Oh, Reimer's hurt. Now ah, we're supposed to lose anyways. Hey, but we beat this team on a Saturday night. Cool. Good for us, right? That's how it was. It was like, oh, we won a game. That's nice. That's cool. Okay, that's pretty, that's, that's good. Then 2016, 2017 happened and it ruined everything. You make the playoffs. You were literally two goals away, overtime goals away, two Tom Wilson goals for gosh sakes away from going on to the second round to winning a round for the first time since 04. And then it's like, oh my goodness, this team's good. This team's really good. And then 17, 18, what happens? The Leafs, they end up, winning the most games out of any team in Toronto Maple Leafs history. Now, granted, yes, when the Leafs were dominant, there were not 82 games. Even the 93 Leafs did not win as many games as that 17-18 team did, which brought the expectation that this team was a cup contender because then they got Tavares, and then they, you know, they signed Matthews to a big deal, Nylander to a big deal, and Marner to a big deal, and all of a sudden this team was supposed to be good. That's, now yes, hold on, I'm getting back to Vancouver here. That's the problem with Vancouver now. You make a substantial run. Heck, Vancouver won a series against the defending Stanley Cup champions. That brings expectations now. You expect Besser, who, by the way, is tied for second in goals. We'll tell you who it is here in just a second he's tied with. But this team is supposed to be good now. You're expecting, and even, yes, you lost Jacob Markstrom. But Braden Holtby, he may not be the Holtby of you know 2017 Vesna Braden Holtby or 2018 Stanley Cup champion Braden Holtby, but he's still Braden Holtby. And Thatcher Demko had a good playoff in those couple games. He should be the guy to make that step in order to make it all the way to being a number one goaltender. And Frederick Anderson with a great save. Sorry, uh, play by play Tyler is getting a little excited here. I'm getting back in the swing of things, guys. As t- I think he just who did he just rob there? Was that it wasn't Pearson? Who the heck is that number? Someone help me. Who's number 95 for Vancouver? Go to, I'm going to go to the roster here. Cause I have 95. It's a weird number. Oh, Justin Bailey. Oh, oh, good for him. I didn't even know he's still playing. <laughs> I know Josh Bailey is still playing, doing well with the Islanders, but anyways, back to my story at hand here. They won this. They won a series. They take Vegas who at that time was the number one team in the West because they won their way into the, being the best team in the Western conference in their round robin in the NHL playoffs, in the bubble. And they looked like a team that could make that step to be an even better team this year. Yet, the start of the season has said otherwise. Now, they're not not—they're not playing awful. They're just not playing to what people are expecting them now. I, I was chatting it up with after, you know, we had James Sebolski on a few weeks ago. Sportsnet 650 out there and the voice of EA Sports NHL, I I was asking him, like, what is the worst, what's the toughest, you know, fan base based on social media, your reactions and whatnot, and, you know, who is the hardest on their team? Because I'm always under the impression that's the Maple Leafs, because it's just seemingly that's how it is. Now, there's a lot of people that think, while I think Edmonton is the similar team, the fan base and the city in general, Vancouver is probably the more comparable to Toronto West. Now, I'm like, I said, Canucks fans are probably going to hate to hear me say that you keep bringing it back to Toronto. Yes, I know what I'm doing. Okay. But he said the Vancouver is the tougher fan base. Now, now, while that I believe is definitely true in terms of the fact that if, when the Canucks are bad, no one goes to the games. Leafs, mainly because, yes, it is corporate. It is the platinum seat ghosts, as they say. They will always have a sellout because that's just how the Leafs operate. They will find ways. As the first period's wrapping up here, it looks like the Leafs will take the one nothing lead into the break. Vancouver, though, out shooting the Leafs 13-4. to Freddie Anderson's had to look good. But going back to the Canucks here, I mean, look at the games they've played. They were swept by Calgary early on. Then they lambasted Ottawa. That really helped, but they uh, they lost two out of three to Montreal. They were able to beat Winnipeg, who is looking like a real good hockey club right now, even without Luc Dubois. They were swept by Montreal early on in this month, and now where they're at now, they lost two games in embarrassing fashion to the Leafs, now already down one nothing in this game. The stars aren't all shining. Like I said, Besser, nine goals so far this year. Very respectable. But Pedersen is a little bit sluggish right now. Quinn Hughes, yeah, he's putting up points, but he doesn't seem like the X factor that he was last season. And let's be honest, the goaltending is not looking so strong. And that could be, you know, being left out behind. You got Brayden Holtby kind of calling out his team. The thing is not right with Vancouver. And I I I listen. I want this division to just be a gong show. Like I was when we were talking in the preseason preview. I want every team to have a shot to win this division. Ottawa just hasn't shown that they've not been as competitive as we thought they were going to be, as we've seen. Even though they were able to, you know, beat Montreal, <laughs> which is a the thing. They're just going to beat the teams that were in the East last year. They're going to beat Toronto. And they're going to beat Montreal. Those are the only games that my Ottawa's going to win this year. Yet I I. Vancouver just seemingly just, they're not, I, it's a mixture of not converting, and when the bad begins, they fall. They have not won a game this year where they have given up the first goal. They're, I think, 0-7, I think I heard on Hockey Central today, Justin Bourne, commenting on that. So now they give up the goal here in this one. Despite outplaying the Leafs handedly, out-shooting them, outchancing, them, getting the betterment of the chances, they're down one nothing. How will they respond? Now we're not going to be able to get all of the reaction here because the game will be game will wrap up after we go off the air here on Twelve Ounce Sports. Yet you just you look at it and you wonder what is the problem? Now one guy that is maybe giving them the biggest amount of heck in the world today that is Tyler Toffoli. Now I'll tie this back into the Vancouver Canucks here in just a minute and what this has to do with the hockey club. But I I look at this this performance, this single-handed performance by Tyler, by Tyler Toffoli, and it's incredible. This guy, in five games against the Canucks, eight goals, three assists, 11 points. Guess how many points he has overall? Nine goals, four assists, 13 points. He only has one goal and one assist in the rest of the games that he's played this year. For the Montreal Canadiens. Now, yes, the Montreal is a very deep team this year. So you don't necessarily need him to be the superstar. But he's second on the team in scoring. Tied for second in the NHL with goals with Besser. And some guy named Connor McDavid. You ever heard of him? He's a pretty good player right here. Yet, for some reason against Vancouver, he steps up. It's a a laughable story. Three three three-point games against the Canucks, Tyler Tafoli's done. He had a hat trick back on January the twentieth against the Vancouver Canucks. He is and and he's making great plays and Tafoli we saw in Los Angeles in his you know in their prime when the Kings were the Kings of the West of the Western Conference. He was one of their big scorers, one of their guys that really stepped up. And I, I just I look at this and like do you think it's because he was mad they didn't get re-signed by the Vancouver Canucks? Because now everyone is pointing the finger at Jim Benning, or Bim Jenning, as some people like to make fun of him as. Is is he not enemy number one in Vancouver right now? Because think of it this way. The goaltending's been an issue. They lost Jacob Markstrom. The contract that we heard was the deal was, it was going to be actually $1 million less than what Edmonton gave him. Because Edmonton gave him 6 by 6 I believe it was 7 by 5 $7 $7 million for five years for Jacob Markstrom. You lose Chris Tanev, who played a lot with Quinn Hughes last year. Hughes was able to make his way through the lineup and go on his offensive rants because Chris Tanev, he's like, I'll be back here, guys, wait for you. Whenever you're ready, I'll come play defense. You guys go have fun up front there. That's what it was. You lose him to Calgary. All right. Well, that's not good. And then you lose Tyler to Foley. Now, where was Tyler Tofoli going to resign? There was, I mean, there was an offer, obviously not the biggest offer and not one that Tyler Tofoli wanted. Now, I should have definitely pulled up his cap friendly as I'm going to do that now because I'm Mr. Preparity. Preparity? That's not a word, is it? We're going to, that's I'm making that a word today. Preparity. Tyler Toffoli got signed for 4.2 no wrong contract. Yep, 4.25 through 4 seasons. I don't exactly remember the number that Vancouver was offering. But a lot of the discussion in Vancouver right now is pointing back to the fact as they're at, they're doing the burning questions right now at the intermission on Sportsnet and they're saying who's got the most pressure in Vancouver management. Who would have thought? Who would have thought, right kids? But yeah, people are saying this is why you don't sign Jay Beagle, and to yourself for so much money. Look at the team that they had at the time. Look at the Vancouver Canucks at that time when they signed in Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel. They had these young, talented players, but were they were they that good? I mean, they weren't they were not a competitive hockey club. They just wanted someone there and they had to offer a little bit of money. However, here we are, looking now back at these contracts, saying, I mean, Man, this is a bad contract. But yes, those contracts look bad then because Jay Beagle is not worth multi... He's not worth $3 million. Antoine Roussel is not that much money. Yet, once again, here we are, kids. We're trying to figure out what in the blue blaze and hell is happening with the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, it's because we can't afford our number one goaltender or one of our key players in the playoffs or even a defenseman that lets our other defensemen play the way they want to. Because Nate Schmidt, as good of a defenseman as he is... He is more of the Quinn Hughes type trying to replace Tanev or trying to replace Tanev with Nate Schmidt is literally doing apples to oranges. It's not the, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. And, uh, oh, we had a fight between Ottawa and Edmonton as they're showing highlights right now. Austin Watson fighting Kahara, as they're just throwing the highlights right now. They haven't quite taken a look at the score. Oops. I uh, bumped my mic there around the league as of right now. Holy cow. We had another fight. Got Branson and Cassie in the 244s. It's fight night in Ottawa. Holy cats! Gosh, should I call it my buddy zero zero right now? Maybe that's why the only reason why they had those highlights because there were fights. Text my buddy Peyton Turner. Peyton, it's looking like Detroit and Nashville all over again. Back, well, not not like a couple years ago. It was like back in the day. Remember we had Pete Weber on. We were reminiscing about the 0304 Predators and that was the 92 games when Steve Iverson was smashing glass there at Bridgestone Arena. That was fun times. Remember when times were simple when you didn't really have to go to school or didn't have to care about school. You could just go to school, say hi to your friends and go home, play video games all day. Those were some great times, weren't they? I thought it was fun. However, that said, back to Vancouver here. Tyler Tafoli's had this just incredible run and you wonder, would he be able to do the same kind of success if he stayed in Vancouver? Now, once again, all of ninety percent of Tyler Toffoli's output this season, all of his most of his points have come against the Vancouver Canucks. Eleven out of his thirteen points have come against Vancouver this season. In those five games, is it a trend? Maybe. Is that something that the Canucks are going to try to figure out when they play Montreal the rest of the year? You hope so. Now, jumping back to the standings here, as I quick hit the back button, as I go to the divisions, they are sitting in fifth. They are tied with Edmonton, who is six and 6-7, and that is a whole other story within itself because, they're, by the way, Mike Smith is actually playing in this game for the Ottawa Senators. He hasn't given up a goal yet in the first 20 minutes. He just got activated off LTIR today to play in the game. Stuart Skinner getting sent down. So the North Division still wide open. Let's just take You know what? For the sake of it, let's take a quick look before we jump over to the college hockey scoreboard. Let's take a look at the rest of the divisions for you. Boston leading the Mass Mutual East Division, tied actually, excuse me, with Philadelphia. However, the two less overtime losses with Boston, they're eight, one, and two right now, is why they're ahead. If there was a tiebreaker today, of course. Philadelphia in second, Washington third, Pittsburgh fourth, five, five, and one, not too shabby. Of course, we got the big news this week. New Jersey and Buffalo having to extend their their season postponement I guess you can say have to postpone a bunch of games because of continuing COVID outbreaks within the organization as I quickly run over yes Angela announces more postponements the Sabres so much happening on Sportsnet right now (laughs) I'm trying to click it here the Sabres will lose two more games against Washington on February 11th and the 13th Minnesota losing games against St. Louis on the 11th and 13th that second game the 13th against Los Angeles And while the Devils are postponed, we'll have three, two games against the Flyers, 11th, 13th, and 15th in Boston. Now, currently the number of games as of right now with these current additions to their postponements with Buffalo, Minnesota, and New Jersey, holy cow, there's 33 games have been totally postponed this season. Now, of course, there was issues with Vegas because they still have Alex Petrangelo on the COVID protocol list. Sam Sonov is still recovering from COVID-19, because we found out that he had it. Remember that whole big deal about Washington saying, oh, why can't we have teammates hang out together? Your goaltenders got COVID, that's why. Yeah, gosh darn dinguses. You think, oh, yeah, he's got the they have the antibodies, it'll save him. Okay, come on. Uh, thankfully they did, because maybe you have, well, could you imagine if Alex Ovechkin was out for like two weeks with COVID? Can you imagine what the league would have to do to try to recover from that? Just mass panic, absolutely mass panic. Jumping back to the standing look at here, Carolina in the Central Division, Move over the discover Central. Tampa leading the division. Only nine games played. Carolina, the same thing, even though they both had to miss some time with COVID, but they're still the best teams. Florida dropping their first overtime, or the regulation loss of the season yesterday to the stinking stark. Actually, they lost in overtime, right? Lost in overtime. To stinking stark in Detroit. No, that was regulation. Four to one win for the Red Wings. Mark Stahl even scored. Holy cats, guys. Yeah, that was, I mean, I guess if there's ever time to lose in regulation, I guess it's, (laughs) I guess it's to the Detroit Red Wings wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Nashville right ahead of Detroit, though, with a five and six record. Dallas has kind of cooled off a little bit since their hot start. They're five, two and two. Columbus will get to in a minute. They're five and five. Chicago currently in a playoff spot with four overtime losses. Now that helps because they've played Four more games in Carolina, Florida, Tampa, and Dallas. They have played 13 games. Going out west, Vegas, 7-1-1. They are good, of course. Colorado, who was a team that was missing time due to COVID, they are 7-3-1. St. Louis, 7-4-1. Anaheim's in a playoff spot right now. Look at that. Good for them. They all started the year hot last year. Guess where they finished? Not good. Minnesota hanging in there in fifth. Arizona and San Jose, Los Angeles, in that order, in the Honda West Division. So obviously, I mean, there's a lot of time left here, guys. Now, granted, you can see the teams that are going to be stepping up. I don't believe Anaheim's for real, and I said it before; and I'll say it again. John Gibson, excuse me, can only do so much, but I, I don't think they're going to be. A, I mean, Minnesota, like I said, Minnesota will pull it out somehow. Talbot, when he's when he's on, he's been really good for the Wild this year. Arizona, just ugh, it's it's tough for them. You don't really have the big gun stepping up. Kemper is I mean, I'm not saying he's been bad, he just hasn't been as good as he want as as he's played the last couple of years. Let's be honest. Right? That's the hard part for the Coyotes is when their goaltending's not up to snuff or above average, they're not able to win hockey games. They're not able to be as successful as they want to be. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that as going forward. Los Angeles, they're just going to finish last right now though. They are tied with the wings and points Detroit through 13 games is three, eight and two LA through 11 is three, six, and two. Both have eight points. Both are the second or is tied for the second worst team in the league. That is the distinction of last place is held by the Ottawa senators who are two nine and one. Maybe they'll win today against Edmonton. Wouldn't that be interesting? Hey, Mike Smith. Yeah. We brought you back off LTIR. Remember how we started you in the playoffs last year and how well that worked against Chicago. How about you lose to Ottawa in your first game back. Wouldn't that be great kids? So with that, let's continue on here. A little, a little over half an hour left in our show today. You're on 12-Ounce Sports, the Cula Show, which you can find every Monday. But of course, you know, maybe you couldn't watch Salt today. Maybe you're just tuning in. Maybe you were, you know, you were busy watching that first period, and you felt like watching some guy yell and scream, while wearing a Toronto 6 shirt. You decided to jump on this. It's okay. You missed a great interview with Dan Rice of the Hockey Writers, talking about the National Women's Hockey League. And you missed my Super Bowl talk, and that's actually just been about it. Make sure you check out the YouTube channel here on The Coolest Show. Check that out. Check out the replay. Watch it in full. Watch it in parts if you want. We always put the timestamps in for certain sections of the show so you're not feeling like you're having to watch for the whole thing. Like, where is that Dan Rice interview? Nope. We knew exactly where it is because we clicked it because of the description. And we do the same thing with our favorite podcatcher. You go on there, you hit the description. Like, all right, this time part here, we'll go there to listen to this interview. So, because if, if you don't want to look at me the entire time, I... I I understand. I, I I get it. I'm not hurt that much. I'm just so sad. You can go on there and listen to you on your favorite podcatcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeart Radio app, uh, TuneIn, Radio FM. I think we're on a couple weird podcasting sites I've never heard of. I don't think we're on Spreaker because I think you actually have to have an account with Spreaker to be on there. Same thing with Anchor, but we're on SoundCloud because that's where we distribute all of our podcast stuff. But let's move along here. As we continue on here with the Keel Show, we'll get to Columbus and Carolina's game yesterday here in just a second. But it is time for the long-anticipated, long-never-duplicated, amazing and outstanding time of the show where we go and perform and show you the College Hockey Scoreboard. College Hockey Scoreboard, always brought to you by our good friends at leather company.com is it playing? I don't think it's playing. Oh, wait. I turned up the wrong one. There we go. There's the drum line. I must have like I turned up the wrong dial. I have two music devices right now. I have one phone that plays one, and I have an old phone that just plays some of the other songs you hear. Yeah, get that drum line going. College hockey scoreboard time brought to you by Texturing another company. Hashtag crafted from the clear From the clease? Holy cow. I can't even get the hashtag right. Crafted from the crease. Is that coffee gone? Yes, it is. We're in trouble, guys. This last half hour is going to be rough for us. However, jumping on back to Tuesday, Hockey East Action. Boston College beating Northeastern 6-2. Michigan Tech beating Ferris State. I was at that game. Alec Bretzman scoring a goal. And assistant so did Tristan Ashbrook. 6-4 win for the Huskies. Thursday, Sacred Heart beating Bentley 4-0. Robert Morris beating Long Island University 4-1. ECAC Colgate beating Clarkson 2-0. Another loss for the Clarkson Golden Knights. Showing once again that I don't think they should be a top 10 team. But regardless, what do I know? I am just a Kind little broadcaster. My name is Tyler. How are you doing? Moving on along now to Friday as we get you up on the board here. Friday's action in Atlantic hockey, Robert Morris beating Long Island four to nothing. They complete the weekends or the week sweep, if you will, over the Sharks. Four nothing win. Brandon McHaleen, one goal and assist in that one. Noah West, a 28 save shutout for the Colonel. Sacred Heart beating Bentley four to two. Austin McGarrett goal and an assist, including the game winning goal for the Pioneers. Also, R.I.T beating Mercyhurst 2-1. Big Ten action, Wisconsin beating Minnesota 4-1. Cole Caulfield 2 goals, including the game winner there. Notre Dame was able to beat Ohio State 8 to or 6-1 in their first game of their weekend set. ECAC action, Quinnipiac beating up St. Lawrence 4-1. Matthew Fawcett, two goals, including Michael Lombardi, a goal and an assist, including the game-winning goal for the Babcats. Jumping on over to Hockey East, Boston College. Finally, the two Boston teams get to go up against each other because Boston was able to actually play a game because without COVID. overtime win for the Eagles. Drew Hellison, game-winning goal with 0.1 seconds left in overtime. Mark McLaughlin also getting a goal and assist in that game as the Eagles were able to beat their in-state rivals. UConn also with a stunner beating Northeastern 4-1. Johnny Evans, his 12th goal this season, including the game-winning goal. UConn now is actually ranked number 20 in the nation with the recent USCHO polls. Also in hockey section, New Hampshire with a stunner beating UMass Lowell 2-1 nchc action omaha and denver taking on each other denver is able to pull off the win against number nine denver three to one cole gutman a goal and two assists carter savoy a goal and an assist for the pioneers and in also st cloud state beating western michigan five to one duluth over miami eight to one cole kepke with a hat trick WCHA action six or four nothing win for number six minnesota state over bowling green Dryden mckay 30 saves 21st career shutout Puts him tied for second all time. That's his seventh of the season as well. Also in WCHA action, Bemidji State tying Ferris State. Ferris State getting their first sort of win. They end up winning the shootout, get a tie against the Beavers. And Michigan Tech beating Alabama-Huntsville 3-1. As we now jump on over to Saturday. If I can find Saturday. There's Saturday. Graphics are tough, guys, when you're not really paying attention half the time. Saturday, RIT and Mercyhurst 6-2 win. For the Lakers, Brennan Schneider, a goal and two assists. Big Ten action, Notre Dame beating Ohio State big time, 8-1. to Nick Laverman, two goals, also a big win. Wisconsin, 8-1 win over Minnesota. Guys, I think Wisconsin's for real. They're number one now in the Big Ten Conference. ECAC, Clarkson, and Colgate tie at one. Knights win in a shootout thanks to Zach Zakos's goal. And Quinnipiac was able to outlast St. Lawrence with a 2-1 win, getting the weekend sweep over the Saints due to the Bobcats. NCHC action, Western Michigan with a big stunner, an overtime win. Over the St. Cloud State Huskies, Drew Worad, two goals, including the game winner in overtime. Broncos probably get their biggest win of the year. Miami also was able to fall again to Duluth. Duluth gets a weekend sweep, and Omaha comes back with an overtime win of their own, beating Denver 5-4. So they get split with the Pioneers. Hockey East action, Providence beating Merrimack 5-1. Nick Poussin, two goals and an assist in that one. Tyce Thompson, five assists for the Friars, assisting on all five goals. And New Hampshire gets the weekend sweep over the Riverhawks, a 7-6 win. Angus Cruikshank, four goals and an assist. He scored the game tying goal, which was the hat trick in the third period, and the game winner early in overtime to give New Hampshire the sweep. Who would have thought a sweep for the New Hampshire Wildcats? That's their first sweep of the season. And number 15, Boston's able to come back on BC. They get a 3-1 win. They split with the Eagles, the Terriers, now 6-2 on the season. WCHA action, Lake Superior State with a 5-4 win over Northern Michigan in overtime. Ashton called their two goals, including the overtime game winner for the Lakers. And Mercyhurst, or Mercyhurst, Michigan Tech, completes the weekend sweep of Huntsville. Blake Piedela has eighth win of the year in net as the Huskies win 4-1 over the Chargers. Also in WCHA action, Bemidji State was able to take care of Ferris State to get the, I guess, the extra three points, 7-2 win for the Beavers. And Minnesota State, 5-1 win over the Bowling Green Falcons. Had a couple games on Sunday that didn't quite have time to really put up on the board for you, but that's okay. I can give them to you right here, here on the will Show. Hockey East Merrimack, stunning Providence, a 3-2 win as the Warriors able to get a split with Providence, which no one thought. Northern Michigan was able to get the split with Lake Superior State as they get a f- overtime win, 4-3. Currently, there is a game that is played between Army and Sacred Heart. Is that game happening today? I saw the lineups put up on Twitter take a quick look at the college hockey news see if we have an update for you there 2-1 lead right now in the second period for the army black knights over sacred heart goal scorers for army are mason krueger and eric boot kevin lombardi a power play goal for the sacred heart pioneers goaltenders in that one were trevor trevin kozlowski and josh benson josh benson who had a shutout earlier this week or earlier this season and that is your college hockey scoreboard i throw the sheet of paper and i grab the other one i throw the other one there get off get off my desk get out of here college hockey scoreboard brought to you are our good friends at second string leather hashtag crafted from the crease the crease not the cleese the crease Tyler yeah yeah dingus it's something Cooper and I have gone over sometimes we go like ah oh, you dingus we call each other that but man that was that was entertaining second period started up between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Vancouver Canucks at least a little bit more of a jump in the second period which can only mean bad things for the Canucks I would think You know, because we talked about it just a moment ago, how the Canucks just seemingly cannot quite figure out what to do when they fall behind, it seems like. So let's get into, uh, I'll quickly run through the new COVID-19 protocols in the National Hockey League, because I'm pretty sure I mentioned that earlier and probably quickly go through it here. This is obviously coming from last Wednesday when Minnesota, New Jersey, Colorado, and Buffalo all had to postpone games like we said or just a few minutes ago. Minnesota, Colorado, not Colorado, Minnesota, New Jersey, and Buffalo had to extend their quarantine, if you will. A couple things they ended up doing. Of course, the big one that is pretty noticeable on TV, the glass removed behind the benches. And of course, that's nothing new to the National Hockey League. You had that for years over at the Montreal Forum, which was, I guess, more or less you know, just kind of allow people to get a better look at it. Of course, Montreal Forum was, I think, one of the last few rinks in the NHL to put glass along the side. If you ever watch really old footage, there used to only be glass behind the net. So people just wouldn't get clobbered by slap shots by Boom Boom Jeffrey on that missed, right? So the NHL, they end up, I mean, the, the they didn't mandate teams to put glass along the side or chicken wire even. Along the side is oh we got a little bit of a scuffle here as Tanner Pearson and Morgan Riley are saying hello to each other with more little aggression than discussion. Regardless, so that was a big thing there because they're trying the league is trying to improve ventilation as much as possible, trying to make sure there's less close contact with all these positive cases, right? So the glass gets taken out, also portable air cleaners behind the benches, trying to find a way to keep the air clean. Like I said. Even in a big, empty arena, the close quarters of being behind the glass or being in front of the glass, you know, on on the benches and being around each other, they're still kind of a confined space. And, like, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, you're in the penalty box, right? I wonder if the league's ever thought about moving the glass behind there because when you're in the penalty box or even in the scorekeeper's box, that in itself can be a very, you know, very tight, confined space. I remember doing games at a public rink, for a long time, we had a little portable heater down by our feet because, you know, it keeps you a little bit as warm as possible. But you kept the door shut behind you because if that door was open, the even the warm air, as small of it as it may have been, it would get out. You'd actually be a little bit warm sitting in, in, the, in the enclosed space in a, in a scorekeeper's box. So that's, I think, why the league's going to do that. And I wonder if the league will consider doing that behind the penalty boxes. Now, yes, there are a lot more players on the bench, but it's a much more tighter space in the penalty box. That's, I think, my reason on that. Teams cannot arrive earlier than an hour and 45 minutes before puck drop. Now, this is the one that got a lot, because the exception being if you need injury treatment. This is the one that got a lot of people riled up, a lot of players riled up, because, shoot, there's a lot of guys that show up three hours before game time to the rink to just relax, you have your routine, kind of just get you in the right mindset. You know, some players have extended warm-up times excuse me, had a burp there, but th- there's a certain minutiae, certain relaxation part of being at a rink for a long time. I used to get to the, I used to try to get to the rink a couple hours beforehand. It was tough in college because our coach wouldn't let us in the locker room until he got there, or at least until I think it was like 90 minutes for puck drop. But I liked getting there early just to relax. I wouldn't feel rushed to warm up. I wouldn't feel rushed, rushed to get dressed. I could just go in the locker room, just sit there and, Relax, maybe have a snack or a pregame meal, a small one. Obviously, I would eat like five hours for a game time of a big meal, but, you know, have some have a granola bar or something and just kind of relax, not having to worry about too much. That was always the best part about it. And like I said, some NHLers get there earlier. Shoot, there were the stories of Kevin Lowe and Wayne Gretzky getting there at like three thirty mainly because, you know, they can just hang out there. And, of course, NHL teams, they have players' lounges. Heck, you could go to the rink and take a nap if you want to. But they're trying to f- limit player interaction or player and staff interaction, which is why they're limiting cutting back the time players can be in the arena. So, obviously, there is that. And a lot of players have issues with it because they like being around the rink for a long periods of time. Now, obviously, this is COVID-19. This is a pandemic. So, I guess the players are just going to have to adjust to that. And another thing too, more locker room space. They're asking to be, they're tr- suggesting that it be used, because obviously a lot of arenas have multiple rooms where players can get dressed. Of course, in the National Hockey League, I mean, we saw with Edmonton and Toronto, teams were getting dressed in the Raptors' locker room and the away basketball locker room. There's other dressing rooms throughout the arena and throughout the facilities. There, so they're trying to find ways to limit close contact with each other, which I get. Another thing they're trying to start doing, they're trying to increase rapid testing. Now, we saw this yesterday, like we talked about a little bit with Dan Rice, which we were talking about, with, we kind of mentioned it with, about Philadelphia. Travis Sanheim testing positive in the morning after the PCR test. So what they did is they tested the rest of the team quickly with the rapid testing, the, the 15, 20-minute testing, where you get the results really quickly. Everyone else tested negative, so they were able to play against Washington yesterday, where Philly Absolutely handled Washington. Pretty sure Washington would not want to play in that game, even though Ovechkin had a great game. Flyers won that game seven to four. So they're trying to find ways to take more rapid testing. You know whether it be testing when you get to the rink, you can't enter the building until you test before testing as soon as you get off an airplane, testing when you get to the hotel, testing when you're about to leave the hotel, finding every possible chance to make sure that they. Can have no opportunity of getting into any team facility with a positive COVID nineteen player or staff member. So they're looking at securing more docking stations, as I'm stations, according to this is from Sportsnet and according to Elliot Friedman as well. The NHL approach involves players taking personal PCR tests once a day, which is a widely it's a widely available testing technique, and it is the most accurate of the, between the rapid and the PCR tests. The PCR one's a lot more active or a lot more accurate, but it takes longer. That's the problem. It takes between 24 to 48 hours, which is what the problem was with Travis Sanheim yesterday. So that's why the leagues wants more possible rapid testing. Now, once again, the rapid tests are less accurate. That's why we're talking about false negatives, false positives. They're a thing. Matthew Stafford of the Detroit Lions is you know, a football reference for you, but he had a false positive. Because he had a rapid test that said he had it, but he didn't. That's just the unfortunate aspect of the rapid testing. Now, that said, there will be players that may test positive that are negative and players that are negative that test positive. That's the point of it. But you're trying to find every possible chance to make sure that you don't have COVID-19. They're trying to limit the spread in every way possible. So I I commend the league for trying everything they can. So that's why. And Don't be surprised, though, if this is if there are more changes happen as we move along throughout this season. You can only hope that, I mean, that the league is able to get through with the majority of the regular season of games played. Because if not, then, well, then we're in a little bit of trouble, aren't we? Because I, I, I want the league to play 56 games, but obviously we're realizing slowly that it's not going to happen. They, there is a buffer, like a 10 day buffer. The league has put in before the playoffs so that games can get rescheduled yet we're just we're looking at the inevitable teams may play 50 games teams may play 48 games at this rate the amount of games that are being missed you're just going to have to either just schedule them at the end in that buffer and pray that you don't have any more but that is in this point so unlikely that we're going to have to go by point percentage maybe a slightly ex- exp- extended playoff expanded playoff whether you have, you know, an eight versus a nine or excuse me, in divisions, you may have a four versus five or having teams that are four, five, six, seven play each other once and just go on a basic like old medal round days in the Olympics just to try to figure out who should actually be in the playoffs. Because it'd be unfair to, you know, say one team like the fourth place team plays, you know, or the fifth place team plays five games less than the team that's in fourth place, they're two points back. And in those games that, you know, this team could win this many games and could have jumped them or whatnot, you're going to have to find a way to do it, whether it be one game playoffs or best of threes or whatever. The league has got to be looking into that, right? And like I said, it's it's early on in the season, so they're not going to just say, here's how we're going to do it no matter what. No, because things are so fluid right now with this that you can't make a decision that's going to affect the playoffs now. You're going to probably hear it when we get closer to April. I think April would be the good the good guesstimate of when we start to hear what the playoff format would look like if it were to have to change from the what we know now is the top four teams in each division and how they'll figure out how to do the Final Four. Because I don't think it's going to be like an East-West Final Four. It's going to be the best team coming out, you know, whoever the best team is, you know, who had the most points in the regular season, whoever the best team in the regular season was coming out of the East versus the fourth, you know, like, or the best out of one division or whatever, you have the East versus, it could be East versus West Central versus North or North versus West and East versus Central. It's going to be confusing, okay? I'm probably confusing everyone. And I'm confusing myself right now. So let's get even more confused by looking at the game yesterday as we wrap this up here on the CULA So maybe we don't get to what to watch for tonight. And I do apologize. There's a lot of games going on this week. Maybe I'll have a couple minutes to quickly run through it for you folks. I'll I'll leave it on the ticker for you. Maybe to possibly confuse you. Maybe get your hopes up. Because I'm really good at letting people down. <laughs> As you probably have, have met, or I probably have realized, over our time here on TKS. So, gosh, my hair was really sticking up like this the entire time. Hold on a second. Let me, let me fix my hair here. I realized I like an alfalfa thing going on over my headphones. I didn't quite notice it because I don't look at the screen the entire time. So I kind of just let everything go. This is why people should just listen. Just listen to us on the podcatcher, guys. I like to do the video so when people see my wavy arms or whatever, when I yell and scream, they get to see how mad I am. No, this one I'm not going to get so mad about, but it, it's just such a weird thing that happened yesterday. So Vancouver, Vancouver, holy cripes. Vancouver still losing to Toronto on the screen. Yesterday... Columbus was taking on Carolina. Game was tied 3-3 late in the second period. Vincent Trocek scores. There's about a minute 45 left. Or I think no, the 1845 mark. Vincent Trocek scores for Carolina. John Tortorella, head coach of the Jackets, decides, I'm going to challenge this. All right, let's just see how it goes. Maybe he gets it, maybe not. They've determined that the play was onside, continues on or whatever. Okay, well, that's kind of weird. However, what happened? So, of course, with the, uh, with the, challenge being declined or the challenge being unsuccessful, Columbus has to take a two-minute penalty for it, for delay of game. And which is still a rule that I like. I like the fact that if, you, if you're if you willing to challenge, you know, in football, you lose a timeout. Hockey, you have to go on the penalty kill. That's even worse, I believe. Regardless, now, yes, a penalty in football can cost you later, but whatever, okay? This is the NHL. What they end up doing is real they go back in the intermission and it was determined that oh wow that play was offsides so they come out of the break and say all right torch here's what's going to happen we're going to we're going to take it we're going to take off the last 45 seconds of the penalty away from you so you go back to 5 on 5 okay that that's nice what about the goal oh no the goal's got to stand huh Rule 37.2 of the National Hockey League states that any time after a puck is dropped after a goal, the goal must stay on the board, which is why the review is such an important deal. So that's why this is such a, a like a, a massive hoopla, and deservedly so, that the Blue Jackets should be mad about it. Patrick Laine sounded off on it saying he was very unhappy on how... It was handled. I forget what his exact quote was. If I can quickly find it, here's a scroll. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Uh why am I talking why is there football? There we go. Dang it, the 31 Thoughts podcast came out. I can't get to that. Oh, right, so here's what Line a says. That's the biggest joke I've ever seen. And then don't forget, Patrick has only been there for a few games. And that's obviously not a you know helpful look. But the fact that Line a is mad about it, I'm sure Columbus fans are like, Yes, he's one of us. Well, of course. He he wears your sweater and he is Technically, contractually signed to play for your team. So, yes, he is. That said, Torch was quiet about it. He said, I'll let the league figure it out because Torch is probably realizing that if he keeps going after the officials like yours truly does, he's not going to get many calls going his way. So he's trying to make sure he can get a power play or two tonight, which they are playing the Canucks tonight, by the way. Or not the Canucks. Good Lord. Why am I talking about Vancouver so much? In action tonight is Carolina. And Columbus. That game right now, 1-1 halfway through the hockey game. Let's see how many power plays we got here. Because I was mentioned, Jeff Merrick mentioned it on Hockey Central today, talking about how maybe Columbus gets a few more calls. Let's take a look. See power plays. Columbus has the only one so far. Only one. And go into Columbus. They did not convert on it. So in terms of the penalties given game, the Vancouver or the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver Canucks just scored. That's why. The Columbus Blue Jackets are kicking tail. I'm just going to title this episode Vancouver. Tyler talks about a lot of them because for some reason he keeps getting distracted by Vancouver. I'd love to visit Vancouver, but I keep saying it. I'm sorry. 1-1 right now, halfway through the hockey between the Leafs and the Vancouver Canucks. So regardless, the thing is, so apparently what happened was someone told the linesman over the headset, we have a good goal. Uh, There is rumors of how it happened, but apparently the wrong guy was talking to them. That was the word that I heard this uh, today on Hockey Central, and like I said, if you go on the Thirty One Thoughts podcast, you may hear a different story from Elliot Friedman because Elliot Friedman, Friedge, Buddy Friedge knows everything. He is on it like white on rice, like you know, on peanut butter and jelly. He is on it. Now some people have peanut allergies, so they can only jelly sandwiches. But whatever, cheese on uh, cheese on toast or butter on toast. I don't know. Go with your own, your own. You know. Your own comparison, if you will. Yet I, I just I don't know if I just I don't want to yell about it. It's it's so funny because how how do you let that happen? Alright, guys, we got a review coming out of Carolina and Columbus. Okay, Timmy, take it away. We got a goal. We just called you. It's a good goal. Uh okay, we got a good goal. Take a headset off. Alright, we got a goal on the ice. Which one what game was that for again? Columbus and Carolina. I thought it was a different game. I thought it was just the one that just got scored yesterday. Mark Stahl's goal for Detroit. I thought that was the good goal. I don't know why. T- what? You're telling me I got the wrong one? Oh, my. That's literally the George Takei effect right there. So, obviously, tough for tougher Columbus and Carolina. Now, some people are saying, oh, but that didn't even result in the game winning goal, though. Carolina ended up winning the game 6 5. But, yes, folks, you take that one goal away, it's 5 5. Tyler can math. How do you mess? I don't listen. It's the National Hockey League. And I've as the season has slowly carried on, at least the last couple weeks have carried through. I have begun to realize that it really doesn't matter what I think. The National Hockey League will just be weird and funny and half the time not make any sense to anybody. So I'm not shocked in the slightest that that happened. So we got a few minutes left here. See, we got time for what to watch for. I knew you guys were excited for it. Tomorrow, Flyers and Caps, second game of their back-to-back. James Van Riemsdyk is having just this ridiculous season, guys. He leads. the playoffs. Backstrom is the same way for the Capitals: Six goals, 11 assists for 17 points. So JVR is a better hockey player than Nicholas Backstrom is what we're not saying, but that said, it'll be interesting. Red Wings and Panthers tomorrow. I wonder if Red Wings can get the sweep in this little mini-series. Wouldn't that be interesting? No, that won't happen. Lightning and Nashville, man. That could go really south for for the Predators for sure. Taking a gander around, I mean, you have Vegas and Anaheim tomorrow night. That is, you know, I like I said, I'm I'm not betting on Anaheim, but right now in that West Division, that's kind of a big game. Now, if Vegas goes out there and throttles them to six 0 I look like an idiot. But the way the Ducks have played this year, the way the Ducks have shown that. Hey, they can hang around. Now, listen, when half the division is San Jose, Arizona, Los Angeles, yes, you're right. There are some teams that should be doing really well, or the team should do well in a division like that. Jets and Flames playing also tomorrow. The Jets seem really have the Flames number. Jets are 7-3-1 right now, guys. I know some people are picking them to go fall out. I was one that kind of left them on the outside. I picked. I think I picked them fifth, but here they are. They are a team that is hanging in there, and if they can do it consistently, Connor Hellebuck's looking good. Lorraine Basois is playing some decent minutes. Shifley, Blake Wheeler, they're putting up points. So, and Paul Maurice is defending his teammates, calling people out for saying that Blake Wheeler played bad. He's letting them know, but I don't give a crap about that. I don't care what your analytics say. Looking at, on Wednesday, you have Maple Leafs and Habs, which is all of a sudden looking like the marquee matchup. Seriously, when was the last, I think, 16, the 16-17 season, was the last time that the Leafs and Habs were a marquee matchup based on, you know, who is the better team in the North? When was the last time that the Leafs and the Habs were in the same division where they were the top two teams? I'm trying to think, because it wasn't the 16-17 season, because the Leafs barely made the playoffs that year. Montreal won the division, the Atlantic division that year. But it's been a while since that has happened. You get the the first Tampa versus Florida battle on Thursday. The first start of that, I believe they play Thursday, Saturday. Yes, Thursday, Saturday for Tampa, Florida. Now that has been, I think the big thing for Florida is that they have not had to play Tampa yet. They haven't had to play Carolina yet. You know, so they're six, one and two against lesser of the competition, if you will. I mean, they did play Columbus, which they played pretty well against, but I, I still believe though, that Tampa is the better team. However, you know, Huberto looking good. 12 points, you know, Christopher, Christopher Hagee you know, six goals on the season. He's looking like a, I'm not saying a dominant player, but he's looking like a guy that's could be a game changer for Florida. He could really pick up the slack that Vincent Trocek left when he was traded to Carolina and uh, Tampa and Florida. I, I wanted, I, I want a Tampa, Florida series so bad. And it's going to sink that this year is not the year. Maybe we don't get fans in the stands for those games, but I've, I remember was it last year. I picked Florida to finish ahead of them. Cause I thought Bobrovsky's there and Quinville's coaching. They'll be, It'll be Boston winning the division. And then you're gonna have Florida and Tampa. I thought that was that was the dream matchup. That was it, you know, right? That was gonna be the the marquee matchup coming out of the Atlantic Division last year. And then Bobrovsky decided I don't need to make any saves. I'm making ten million dollars. I'm just gonna stink up the joint. Let's just hope that doesn't happen again this year for Florida. I want I want Florida to do well. We get Flames and Knucks coming up on thursday saturday right thursday saturday i just lost it i'm just scrolling at this point I usually write down these but i'm like I, let's just kind of just scroll through today kind of keep it fresh keep it light flames and Canucks. yep thursday saturday the battle between the vancouver canucks and a couple players that also played for the canucks last year the the calgary canucks as some people like to call them listen if vancouver like I said they're tied 1-1 in this game but Uh, this it's a it's a big telltale sign if if Vancouver who has played 15 games compared to Calgary, who's only played 11 coming into tonight they play Ottawa or Edmonton later on tonight in the second game of the Battle of Alberta this season Uh, if Vancouver can't turn it around they'll be in trouble and I think Calgary's got the weapons to pull it off and really flex their muscle on on the Canucks I want the Canucks to do better but man if the way Calgary can kind of shut teams down, if Markstrom can play well, Calgary Vancouver is going to have a tough stretch here. Now going back to the Battle of Alberta, so we quickly wrap things up here. Quick last thoughts on this one, man. They should they should have won. They should have won that game. Edmonton, by the way, is playing Ottawa. I got that mixed up again. Uh, they play back to back nights. I don't even know what's happening right now. Ottawa, holy cow! Ottawa's up one nothing. Evgeny Dadnov, for former Florida Panther, scoring the goal here in the second period, so beating Mike Smith for the first time this season. I am Edmonton. That's the goaltending. They they missed out on getting. They missed out on getting Markstrom. I remember that, and they just didn't get anyone else. And here's the problem. Now you know the the postseason or the in the off season. There were plenty of opportunities to get goaltenders. Like I said, Hopi was available. Markstrom, of course, they lost out on that. But there were op- there were goaltending options out there in the offseason. It's so hard to get a goaltender this season because think of it this way. If you trade, you're not going to trade within the division. And especially as we've seen with pierre Dubois, if you trade for a player down from the States, he's going to have to sit for two weeks. And so you're going to trade a goaltender, and you probably have to give up Koskinen or Mike Smith. You have to give up a goaltender to get a goaltender. You're gonna have to figure out what you're gonna do in those two week time span where you you know that's at this point of the season you're missing that's about five or six games, so it's almost not even worth it. You're just kind of hoping and praying. So if Costigan can't turn around next off season, you're gonna see an overhaul with the goaltending in Edmonton. That I will confirm for you right now, because you can't continue with this this duo. And Stuart Skinner, I, I want him to play more. I really do because I want to see if he can get some games under his belt. Can he actually become an NHL goaltender that he was drafted to be? He had a good year one year with Swift Current. I really like to see what he can do. I think he can be a starting goaltender one day if they give him the time to do it. I know his HL numbers aren't good, but now they're with Carter Hertz, and look where he is now—one of the best teams in the East Division. That is it for this week's folk. This week's folks show- This week's show, folks. Tyler Keeler signing off here on the Kuehler Show here on 12-Ounce Sports. Once again, sponsored by MyBookie.ag and SecondStringLeatherCompany.com. every Monday from 6 to 8.30. Once again, if you were not able to catch all the show, that's okay. Make sure you check out the replay on the YouTube channel for the Kuehler Show. The Kuehler Show on YouTube. I don't know the that web address is. Just search it on YouTube. It's not that hard. The Kuehler Show. You're looking at it right now. The logo right there at the bottom center. You see it. Search it. You got it. If not, you can follow us on social media at the Kuehler Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That is it for this one, folks. We'll see you next time here on the Kula Show. Here on Twelve Ounce Sports. Goodbye. Twelve Ounce Sports in minor league. Talking with the rando is next.